I mean, if if the sound, it, if Nathan is, it's sort of like in the performing arts, there can be like a, a convex style and a concave style. And the convex style in this case would be Nathan, which is so loud that you cannot help but notice him and his takes. Uh, whereas you are sort of, you know, Nathan's crossing the bridge as loudly as possible to get to his audience. Whereas David's playing a little bit, the cards are closer to the chest. You know, he, he's saying, Psst, I, got a, I got a secret. And this you have is, to listen really this is hard. a lot like talking to me and Nathan in person then, because he's very loud. Yes. No, this, this dynamic is. Jesus, is... you know, Nathan, you do not need, you do not need to get more excitable. Uh, uh, that's not going to help the volume. Turning the, input, turning the input game down, turning the input game down. How are we doing now? Yeah. But... Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. That, that sounds good. Uh, uh, let's play this. Remember this, this is familiar. The unified jam. And this is unified. Why? Uh, I know. Because... Because it's both of our theme songs. It sure is. Now, of course, you guys got here, I think, because of your respect to the Soviet Union. And uh, I think this sort of reminds you of uh, Stalin and all the good work he did. And I think for a show like mark's madness uh yeah see i don't know how to stop the thing uh, <laughs> that seems unnecessary that's one thing you might see on mark's madness is people stopping the intro cue uh but but you won't hear because i'm rob at dumb and awful this is uh dumb and awful pod uh brett's out today so this is completely unproduced you probably people probably will never see this probably Probably you're going to make a couple bucks, say some things about Stalin, and then it will have no impact ever. So in that way, it's a real proto-podcast, a, a real archetypical podcast. Screaming um, into the void. Yeah, the which, you know, that, that's a very socialist thing to do, as far as I can tell from, from the modern lay of the land. As I said, I'm Rob. The voice that you just heard belongs to Nathan. Uh, Nathan, if people want to yell at you for bad takes, uh, is there a good place to do that? There are t- the, the best place to do that would be the uh, at Mark's Madness Pod uh, account because I do not use a personal account on Twitter because I don't hate myself that much. I do That's... hate myself that much, though. So, David, if they wanted to yell at you on Twitter, where would they yes. yell at you? Uh, at Madness six eight eight three. That that's your handle. Mm-hmm. Madness six eight eight three. Yeah. Did now really is this like an economics thing where you just got that from the same factory where they make the people that do hashtag SOS Cuba? Is was no. that just on <laughs> that's on loan from some Estonian that's, server that's farm? My bunch of numbers from my first name bunch of numbers. You you look your username looks like it, it should be exclusively posting at uh female comics telling them to smile more. That's that's <laughs> or <laughs> And I'll tell you what makes them smile is referring uh, to them as females. They love that. Yes. That's the number yes. one thing to do. Uh, but hello. Welcome, guys. Uh, we're now punched in. Got an easy 3.30 down, just bullshitting without working, which as a, a union guy, I'm all about. I'm all about. <laughs> boss but makes to, a dollar, today, I make a dime. What's that? I said, boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. That's why That's I true. waste three minutes on company time. That is very true. 
Um, Unfortunately, this doesn't quite work because uh, that that little bit of poetry would usually imply I'm I'm shitting economically. (laughs) Whereas uh, when I do this, though it is labor, I am not free to shit for about 23 to 33 minutes at a time. And that makes us uncompensated or at least wage theft from what I'm used to from my normal standard of life as a worker. So if you don't believe in wage theft, you should just go to, to the dumb and awful Patreon <laughs> and assuage your. It's, it's it's like the Black Hammer guys who are just like, "Are you a colonizer? Are you sure? Give me six hundred dollars, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you that you're not." <laughs> that's that's a service I provide. So, uh, first off, how you guys doing? Anything uh, uh, immediately on your mind? I got to say, we have a pretty loaded. Uh, docket of things to run through. It has been a very dumb and very awful week, but I haven't talked to you guys uh, in a while. So uh, is there anything going on? And then could you tell us a little bit about uh, what Mark's Madness is? Because we've referenced it a couple times and I think we have a lot of overlap. You know, it's sort of like the Goofus and Gallant. Like it's like, you know, Goofus just goes to marches and sells weed. Gallant understands the black Bolshevik perspective. Beyond that uh, dichotomy, what is Mark's Madness? David, take it away. Um, Yeah, so Mark's Madness is just a podcast where me and Nathan decided that we were going to read Capital Volume 1. And obviously when you're reading that kind of thing, you're like, hey, you know, we should read in a group. That's going to help you with context. That's going to help you um, tie it back to how it applies to you, whether that's tying it back to today or tying it back to your life. And so me and Nathan were were doing that. We're reading that together. And we thought, hey, you know, a reading group of two is a bit on the small side and we know how to record shit. So we just recorded it and decided to see if we could produce it enough to send it out as a podcast and help other people read. And then we just kind of did. And it's, we know how to record there. shit part is very much being contradicted by the recording we're doing right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, people should not. People should. People should not complain uh, about anything with a free reading group provided to them online, week by week, chapter by chapter. Because normally to get that sort of uh, experience, you would have to go to basically the the worst after hours juice bar or boxing ring or uh, a small community space where someone's going to bum five cigarettes off of you. Uh, and, and then, you know. I'd just be the most annoying people on purpose or in the world, which you guys aren't. So I like that. I've actually enjoyed the the online uh, book club stuff because it feels a lot less intimidating. You know, like you can't even go to a DSA fundraiser without like making sure you're squared away. Because even though we're here to party, we still need to find the bad faith partiers. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so for some people, uh, to whatever extent that's actually a roadblock, I think it's great that you can just log on uh read along with you guys go chapter by chapter and get sort of like the footnotes you know i would say the at least on this podcast our, our favorite author is david foster wallace he's he's a great man and he has a lot of footnotes and i feel like when i listen to you guys i'm getting like the footnotes in real time because i don't even know how to pronounce uh du bois du bois du 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 bois du bois yeah it's yeah 
it's it's supposed to be Dubois, but he was like, yeah, no. Hey, let's hear it for Du Bois then, huh? <laughs> I'm doing the point back. I'm doing the point back. You can't eh, say eh, eh, yeah. I gotta say the Patreon's really getting their money's worth on this one. Yeah, apologies, you, patrons. <laughs> no, you, just a shirt for for those of you at home. There's just a shirtless fat slav uh, and two Zencaster logos. But you know what? Could be worse. Could be. You know? you could actually see me, and that would be objectively worse. That psychically, just in general. I'm I'm going through a period where I've uh, shaved my beard to even it back out. So. I'm beardless for another couple weeks. It's not good. You don't want to see that. There's a face under there, and it's not pretty. Oh, see, I, I've always just used bread as my beard. <laughs> he did it again. He did it again. This is really the, the level, David. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what have you guys been covering, and what are you currently covering, if people are interested in? We have been covering, uh, well, up to this point, we have covered, if you if you haven't ever listened at all, and this is your first introduction, I don't know how, this is a very weird way to have done that, considering how many times we've crossed over at certain points or another, but uh, we covered capital, we covered state and revolution, we covered imperialism, we covered uh, 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 Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, and now we are in the process of covering, we also covered Black Bolshevik in that time period. We did a condensed version of Black Bolshevik, which is the only condensed thing we've ever done in our lives. What um, is Black we Bolshevik? Did... I Black know the Bolshevik. other ones. Black Bolshevik is the autobiography of communist Harry Haywood, um, who was a, a communist leader uh, organizer during the, basically his his elevator pitch is that he took part in World War One. World War II, the Spanish Civil War, um, and then studied at the Lenin School in in Moscow to be a Soviet uh, to be an organizer, and then came back over to America to do black belt organizing during the 30s and 40s. During so you would say he is a time. he's sort of a, a typical adventurous liberal, then, huh? <laughs> he is the <laughs> definition of anti-adventurous. He, uh, he 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 should found... not have gone outside and done things and, and risked things. But from he what took... I can see. He touched a lot of grass, is all I know. He touched a lot of different kinds of grass, but yes. uh, that was his autobiography. And then, bro, currently... he's saying the black Bolsheviks are smoking weed. That's that's what we just got there. <laughs> take that, take that fucking scoop, beep beep lettuce. Where were you on that one? You didn't know about Henry Haywood's weed addiction, but we did. We had it. We had it. Um, but yeah, I think current... I think another thing uh, to Harry Haywood's legacy is kind of the zenith of the CPUSA in the United States before it kind of broke up from sabotage. He was part of that, too. So you get to see all that unfold in the book. What What's the CPUSA and, and why did it break up by sabotage? I don't know any of this. OK, uh, the Communist Party USA. It was the, the primary communist party. And then the feds got to it because they're the feds. And so it still exists. But it's been deeply infiltrated for decades, and it largely fell apart uh, because of both a rift of do you go above ground or underground during the sabotage and a rift of do you support black nationalism uh, and, uh, you know, a, a black nation of New Africa across the black belt or do you oppose that? And, of course, the party as a party line took opposition to that, which was opposite of uh the cpsu under stalin where stalin said no there there should be a black nation um and haywood was definitely in the uh, black nationalist camp 
so Stalin is like a black liberation guy. Like there should be a, a North American like yeah. black ethno state type, for lack of a better word, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, a a black nation across the black belt is is the belief. So, um, you know, it's something that's that's lasted for decades. There's there's been this belief. Um, that's kind of the belief. You know, Malcolm X was famous for. Uh, that's a belief just as important as communism to the Black Panther Party of Self Defense that rose up in the seventies. Um, but it was a faction in the CPUSA, and it was a faction that was supported by. Um, Stalin and the CPSU, but the CPUSA turned away from that, and then also, like I said, had to split from above ground and underground um, designs while being sabotaged, and it just kind of busted it up. So, so what was the sabotage then? Just just federal, just got federal infiltration. What and, was their what was their goal? Like, what was the stated goal of the CPUSA? Was it to like participate in party politics to build like an ML? Uh, uh, dual yeah, it was, power? It was like, Marxist. Marxist-Leninist revolution. So they, you know, they ran presidential and vice presidential candidates, um, but you know, it was turned away from from electoral politics and and revolution, just like any other communist party um, that that ran a Marxist-Leninist line at the time. And that was also a thing that you see in the book is the them going back and forth trying to figure out what the line was because the first they were pro-war or first they were anti-war, then they were pro-war once the Soviets got in, and so they had a hard time keeping a coherent line that they could stick to and and go with so that that also kind of didn't help them i think so what are they today just like I, i'll tell you right right, here's now they're, go ahead. They're, right now they they tend to lean towards uh electoralism in collaboration with the democratic party which uh ethan and i are not big fans of oh yeah i'm not a huge democratic party guy uh Probably, I've said this before. I think I still believe it, but as a, a Slavic man of a certain age, it's very important to me culturally to not examine my beliefs too hard. Um, and so, I, I, I don't. I, I feel like maybe the Democratic Party is actually more dangerous than the Republican Party. Like, I think maybe the the best thing, if you have any faith in like real change coming out of the imperial core i don't know how like step one isn't uh we we gotta make democrats not the de facto like answer for how do i be a good citizen how do i be a good person um the like as long as there's only basically three narratives which is like insane right-wing QAnon, uh business wing international capital which is like republican democrat and then like feckness or feckless status quo technocracy with like virtue signal and sops to identity that don't actually inform real material work in any meaningful way uh by design um if those are the three narratives you've got and you're trying to be a decent person which if that's the case you're probably not going to go to the right uh it's a real fucking roadblock this democratic party thing like having that be the where the water flows sort of by default in the American political discourse, I think is probably more dangerous than like the, the right, the fascists, who for better or worse, always do the fucking same thing. We know what they're doing. They're like outright violent uh, to ideas of compassion and empathy, but and, and require, I think, uh, like political solutions and, and actual ideology that leads to cooperation and fighting uh however you want to define that but like fighting fascist cannot happen while there's still a uh 
well, you know what? MLK said, you know, going to brunch is fine as, as long as you donate to DNC. As long as that is the strain of thought, we got more, uh, you know, a, a fake version of MLK style politics rather than the Fred Hampton style. Uh, I, I just don't know how we move forward. So yeah, I, no, I hate Dems more than Republicans. I, I, I get that. And, and what you're going for, a lot of people think of, of the term controlled opposition as specifically like agents or ops or things like that. And of course, that's going to be involved. I like Perenni's quote where he's it's like people are always like, do you think people go back in a room and like discuss things and plan these things out? And he's like, yeah, where the hell else are they going to do it? But um, additionally to that, you know, I mean, it's just a, a bunch of people with interest in the system acting on their interests. They don't need that much guidance. And and so when you understand things systemically, right, so someone doesn't have to be, you know, a Fed to do Fed's work voluntarily because they see it in their interests. So consequently, it doesn't matter. You know, kind of goes to that Engels code of like either they're fools or they're liars. Doesn't make a difference. The, the outcome's the oh, same. Oh, Engels said either they're dumb or they're <laughs> awful. Well, it Engels, was, Engels OG'd it. Engels OG'd dumb, dumb yeah, Where's he now? It's mine now. Uh, um, I, He's dead. I'm alive. It's mine I now. Say, I would have to look at the exact quote. It is uh, on on authoritarianism, uh, where Engels said that. But uh, um, but anyway, Bro, if, you just, no, if you just say enough words, eventually it's eventually, like monkeys with typewriters. You'll get to Engels. Yeah, right. that's right. Six degrees of separation from Engels at all times. Yeah. Um, but um, but controlled opposition. You know, whenever you understand it, just as as a systemic concept rather than just a a hard-on, hands-on uh, phenomenon that's that's put into place, uh, then you realize that Democrats work as controlled opposition, right? And then you're going, okay, what's more dangerous? You know, controlled opposition uh, or the few policies where Republicans do differ from Democrats and they're more aggressive and ferocious and right-wing propaganda. But then you have to balance that against all of the time, all of the effort, all of the, the the money and resources and all of the propaganda you have to combat. And it gets to the point where I think me and Nathan agree that like if you get the controlled opposition versus the ferocity and destruction of Republicans, I'd rather have the controlled opposition because it's going to be there anyway. But then you look at the outcome of controlled opposition in this environment and it, the entire set of the, the partisan politics with these two parties is just so dangerous and we just have to clear all of the mud out of the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, Democrats are extremely dangerous in that sense. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, I think there's a it's definitely systemic, right, which just even seeing even convincing people that history moves like in a systemic fashion, right, that that it's class interests and it's not great men sitting there going like, aha, what shall we do with this printing press? Like that is not how shit yeah. tends to work in history. And Democrats don't seem to want to believe that, right? Because if the problem is systemic, then solutions need to be systemic. And that would rock the boat such that it would get in the way of their core ideology of let's make things as good as possible with absolutely no risk to me. It's really easy to be a a good guy and see yourself as virtuous when you have literally nothing to lose and everything you do keeps it that way. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's why we see this, like, is Beto O'Rourke going to save Texas? No. And if you're fighting a literal slide to fascism and you believe Jan 6 was like an attempt at a, a coup and revolution by ideologically motivated far right militia three percenters, which uh, that's probably something in there, right? 
Yeah. Like, if you believe that, then what the fuck is this sort of like, like tepid, well, I'm sure we'll get, someone will come along and they'll be so individually virtuous and smart that they'll like innovate our way out of it. That's not going to happen for a number of uh, reasons. Uh, to your point about sort of institutional capture, uh, a lot of reasons, including that, you know, once you enter into the the democratic system or the New York Times or, or you're in this like liberal world, everything reinforces that this is the best you can do, right? It's like the oh, good guys for a lot of people are doing capitalist realism. Chomsky famously in, in the 90s was talking to the New York Times reporter and he said, don't you think like some amount of your reporting, I don't know the exact quote, right? But he's like, don't you think some amount of your reporting is being influenced by the fact that you work for like the old gray lady, an institution that does have politics, that has a very mm -hmm. clear perspective and uh, has always traditionally uh, maintained somewhere around the status quo at, at the expense of whatever it might be, civil rights, human rights, the, the, the foreign policy show. Don't you think that that joining the New York Times is influencing your reporting in some way? And the reporter was like, "No, of course not. We're apolitical. We just we just do the facts." And you know, I, I'm not particularly worried about you know them getting in my head and brainworming me in, into you know, yeah, because this when... ideology. And, and Chomsky, his famous retort was just like, "Well, of course you don't." Because if you were, they wouldn't have hired you. You probably wouldn't have sought this job. This is a self-selecting pool of people. You're Dunning-Kruger yourself where you're just like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm smart enough that I'd notice if there was like politics going on at the New York Times and then you take <laughs> the money. I mean, Chomsky occasionally has a good point, but sorry, David, you're saying something. No, 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 no. I was, I was going to say, you know, I mean, that that's exactly the thing is this, this just the facts, man, you know, ism, and it's, it's all drenched in, in arrogance and individualism, you know, and that's, that's where great man theory, you could say great man theory buds out of it, or it buds out of great man theory, but the etymology of it is, is inconsequential, right? It, it's, if you take a materialist analysis, it's in service of capital. Right. When you start seeing these these big rulers, these same famous people and, and people that are, are buddy buddy or, you know, nepotism happen. And it's well, how are the same people getting rich? Well, the easy dismissal is, well, they deserved it. That's they have this natural skill. It's this great man. It's these individuals. And, you know, we don't have this bias. The system isn't biased. Our reporting isn't biased. We're just reporting the facts. And it's individuals that make it all churn. Yeah, I just I don't understand you know, because these are all very smart people on the liberal side that, you know, very technocratic. They take critical thinking and and, and science very clear, very seriously, and, and they think clearly. And so uh, when you look at what our democracy has produced, right, which is this meritocratic system, right? And it, it's, we need small tweaks, but for the most part, you know, you look at the data and and you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And generally the, the people who work hard get what they deserve. Uh, if that's the case, why the fuck is every person in business, in the creative fields, in politics, literally inherited wealth or like related to someone such that they have to change their name? Yeah. If we have a meritocratic system and it is by and large one where there's not really much class mobility and all of the power is just being transferred generationally, then it's so inefficient to do this fucking uh, a kayfabe of voting and all that. Why don't we just bring back monarchs? That way we don't, it would, it would 
it would stop all of this division and the same exact people would be still hoarding all the power. You know, it, it is kind of funny, too, because we, we talk about idealism versus um, materialism, right? And for anyone not familiar, I'm sure they probably are familiar on, on your No, point. no. Just to be clear, let me stop yeah. you. <laughs> no. No. Okay. The people who choose to spend portions of their mortal life on this, they don't. It's okay. not like they were like reading a history of materialism and they're like, how about a guy with uh, uh, red armpit hair yells into a mic about uh, that? Those that there's not much overlap <laughs> there traditionally. Uh, so for our listeners that don't also obsessively listen to Mark's Madness, what is this materialism? Yes, yeah, so um, uh, definitionally. I- idealism pretty broadly and it, it's typically associated with hegel and then the the young hegelians that followed and stuff like that but um it's this this uh philosophical process that from the idea comes the reality right if from freedom if we believe in freedom and we believe in democracy we will make a freer and more democratic if we believe in equality we will make a more equal world and you can see that in the mythos of america right our founding fathers and this great document and they believed in freedom and democracy and shining beacon on the hill and da, 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 right and materialism is okay so of course ideas are gonna change the world right we're not mechanists the world isn't just gonna magically churn out whatever the hell and people have no say i fucking hope ideas change the world because yeah. all, all we really got are a lot of people and then ideas we haven't spread very far so Ab- absolutely but um but the ideas uh for that then are going to come from your material conditions what ideas you even have are going to be influenced by your material conditions and how much you can make a reality out of those ideas is also dependent on your material conditions and that's why you probably know, closely right. tied to your identity too yeah 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 um closely tied to your identity closely tied to uh the economic system that you're caught within and wherever you sit on that economic system um whatever means you can gather you know whatever people around you and and what their material conditions are how much they you catch their ear um and how much they can understand it from their material conditions and then apply it things like that right and and so the material world in the end is in control, even if ideas and human actions and human induced change is extremely important. And that's what materialism is. And that's that's the big difference there. And uh, and so, you know, liberals by and by are going to be idealists, even if they don't believe themselves to be idealists. Uh, and so even in the early idealism, the early philosophy that drives us, because philosophy, people don't think about philosophy. They think of this esoteric, goofy thing people do in college, but it it drives the world largely. You know, ideology does, and philosophy is a big undergirding of that. And, um, you know, a lot of the early philosophy, they were fine. They didn't care about the democracy so much. There were a few cases like the United States, but, you know, as you saw with like, the French under Napoleon, they were fine with a, a um, enlightened despot, right? They just they just want the the enlightenment and and all of the things uh, from that. And so you know, yeah, I mean, you put the right guy in charge. What's the difference from that and monarchy? Yeah, look, I, I'm not not fully advocating for monarchy. I'm just saying <laughs> when you follow when you follow the logic, right? It, it's like the materialism versus idealism thing. Like we still live in a. a a causal universe fingers crossed for the most part big asterisks for the lowest level and, and so like an idea still has a cause right it's not like you broke the chains of causality to spark a good idea and then you told it to everyone and they're like this is so fucking good that just 
here's a blank check. This is my ideological check. You're so smart. I'm just going to do that regardless of what is going on around me, the relationships I have, my ability to survive, my community. Like, it, it, it's, I don't understand other, I mean, I do understand, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's cynical in the minds of the people at the top that like, you know, no, 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 it's fine. Just keep tweeting. Just keep doing discourse and, and it, it'll all work out, right? That, that idea of like individual virtue being so powerful that it'll take the day. But I don't know. I mean, it just, even if you weren't like a, a socialist or on the left, like how do you not take a materialist perspective on this stuff? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you should see your material conditions and you should see how they should influence you and you should see how disconnected wealthy people are and you should immediately go, well, wait a fucking minute. That changes how they think. That's why they're assholes, you know? That's why they'll they'll be like, oh, you know, my my ha- housemaids were just, they were so happy this weekend and you're just like, housemaids? What the fuck? You know, and they, they don't get it. They don't see it, right? And you're like, how are they so tone deaf? Well, they're not just tone deaf their thoughts are influenced by their material conditions yeah like like all of us Mm -hmm. uh nathan stop typing stop (laughs) stop doing it stop doing it i'm sorry is david boring you is david David pulling at the the strands the fabric of of our political universe was him weaving the fucking uh, fates of, of causality you got you to remember him David. talking about the young Hegelians not exciting you. No, Actually, I was trying to do some research so that I could sound smart for a second because anytime I'm on with David, I get my inferiority complex up because it, I don't know what I'm talking about. He says that he's the one with the degree in philosophy. So he probably heard the young Hegelians and just checked out. He had like flash. And you still like, oh, know no. it better than I do. I, not I, fair. I, I do like the idea of young Hegelians. I like the idea of a hype man that just yells synthesis, but that's really all I have in terms of. Uh, I'm, imagining a pers- I'm imagining a persona style game with Hegelian, just with, just with youthful Hegelians. I really want that, that content in my life. Yeah. Just, just a bunch of guys who did no fap and, and read tomes in Latin. That's right. Uh, and then, it's and not then quite smack- the same. It's not quite the same as a Japanese uh, high school themed slice of life playstation game but i will say to both their credit i imagine that there's a good number of pedophiles which enjoy both of those things i and as someone who took a you know i was in philosophy up to the four thousand level i'm just saying what i see i'm just like, describing my conditions oh, no. uh but speaking of describing conditions I, I think we just take a look at the week now mm-hmm. what i did is i uh, as we went day by day i just wrote down the dumbest fucking thing from each day uh, I figure we'll run through these real quick. Then in the bonus section, uh, we're going to have a little reading series. Uh, we're going to make, I don't, maybe I'll make Marks read it. I don't know. What would cause the most psychic pain? You guys are like professional readers. That is, we are people fact. say like read. It's like, bro, I'm reading on a level. It's like people that, that post on Twitter about you need to read more. Those are the people at the pickup games. You're in the fucking league. Okay. You're the Vince Carter. People give you money and say, keep fucking reading. We love the way you read. <laughs> to be clear, so, no one gives us money. So yeah. maybe you make you make $10,000 a month currently? Yeah, that's that's what the we're, we're hauling in on the secret Patreon. The one we actively don't tell people about. Well, you share the Patreon signing, with reading, training, endorsements, and... <laughs> well, well, we'll start off, and we'll just rapid fire this. Um... Thing number one on Monday, Ben and Jerry's. They're fucking not. They're not selling ice cream 
in in the was it occupied Palestinian yeah. land or something? Occupied you Palestinian see that? settlements. Yep. Did that make you feel good or bad? It made me feel good. It told me that BDS is doing something. Uh, it also made me feel this unfortunate uh, frustration that I usually see where people give corporations credit for doing a whole lot more than they did. So it, it, just step one of that, unapologetically, BDS win. Great thing. What they're doing is they're not selling ice cream within the illegal settlements. Okay. And it is. So, so how this ties to BDS, uh, how you, you think that the BDS pressure uh, is what caused Ben and Jerry to speak yeah. out versus like the actual um, more recent events or. Yeah, I, I think I think the BDS pressure and this is exactly why, you know, Palestinians are asking for this. Uh, I think it is that um, I, I assume liberation and, and not not uh, nice ice cream that can remind them of, of colonization. Yes. Which I would well, I say that, but I don't know, because I enjoy ice cream that reminds me of colonization, which is uh, a, a Jimmy Fallon's late night snack. You probably thought I was going to say Americone Dream, but no. I really, I really did. You took the yeah. road less travel. It's called A A to C. I spent four thousand dollars at the Upright Citizens Brigade Improv Training Center so that you could get that, <laughs> and it it still fails to delight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so just to be clear, though, David, you said they aren't selling it in the occupied territory so we're talking west bank and gaza right um yeah we're talking well specifically in the occupied settlements in in east jerusalem is, oh okay okay yeah yeah um so it's not like they're not selling it to israel or not you know not completely cutting themselves off from from the market and not benefiting israel in any way you know they are still uh a company that is on that list, there's still a company that is um, supporting Israel that, that Palestinians have spoken against. But, I mean, when Palestinians are, are happy about that victory, you should see that that is a good thing. Um, and what has happened is Zionists have seen this, and they have absolutely shit the bed. Uh, which is not Tough only... time to be a liberal Zionist. Yeah, which is not only hilarious and something you love to see, uh, but is a pretty telltale sign that when they get up there and they, they mumble on about a two-state solution and finding peace and finding something where both sides can come together, it's a bunch of bullshit because Ben & Jerry's is not like pulling support from, from Israel. They're not like shutting down as a business. They are only not selling in the illegal settlements. They are only not supporting the settlements that go against this two-state solution and these finding solutions across the side. They're, they're only not selling to the expansive settlements. So when you have a problem with Ben and Jerry's right now, you have a problem not backing the expansive illegal settlements in East Jerusalem. Um, and so that, that shows you that even the quote-unquote two-state solution has always been a one-state solution, and it, it always will be a one-state solution. It's a matter of if you're on the side of that state being Palestine or Israel. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, at least in the current scenario, there. I mean, there. It, people used to jump on me on this, and it, uh, they do it less and less, which is probably a good sign. But I think when you have different rights and permissions legally for some people in your country and uh, uh, different ones for others, that's kind of apartheid-y. I'm going to mm. say it's a little, it's, it's a little bit apartheid-y. Shades of and, apartheid. Yeah, shades, shades of apartheid. And that's, 
that's a good comparison because again, these are both uh, British uh, set up colonies uh, surrounding diamond mines. Uh, you know, from Sykes Picot, right? No, God damn it! I thought I had that one. <laughs> Fucking, um, I know nothing. It means nothing to me. My, I literally, I went to school in Florida. Yeah. Uh, well, Sykes Picot was a secret treaty to define their mutually agreed spheres of influence and control in an eventual partition of the Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire wasn't in Jerusalem, was it? Uh, well, it was, but um, the the Sykes Picot, I think that still had Palestine as French, and then France. God, I think it was after World War Two where France, or it was during World War Two where France wound up in charge of like Syria or Lebanon and Great Britain wound up in charge of Palestine. Yeah, I think I nailed it. Yeah, okay. On May 19th, 1916, representatives of Great Britain and France secretly reached an accord known as Sykes-Picot Agreement by which most of the Arab lands under the rule of the Ottoman Empire are to be divided into British and French spheres of influence with the conclusion okay. of, of World War One. Ah, that's take, what it's Take okay. that. Okay. Take that Florida education system that just didn't <laughs> have a European history class for me. And, and you know what? Also take that AP American history teacher who told me to call in sick on the AP test day so he could keep his class averages up. I, I retained something. Okay. Well, I got what I, something. What I will I'm tell you. I'm podcasting without a shirt now. You said I couldn't be anything. I'm sorry, David. Continue. No, that's fine. Um, I'm going off my memory. So um, I, I'd have to look back into it now that I've, I've obviously been a little. No, we're, that's, we got it. That was the fact check and we'll okay. never do it again. I apologize. No, no, it's okay. Fact check me all. Let's get it right. But no, I'm uh, apologizing to the listener. Oh, yes. Yes. No, I, I hope so. Um, yeah. But uh, but nonetheless, you know, I, I know there was at least some French controlled Palestine at some point, regardless of that. Um, Great Britain had Palestine and it was kind of a free market of the diamond mines in the early 30s. And about 10 years into that, or I'm sorry, in the late 30s and about 10 years into that, uh, 1947, they started figuring out this market is collapsing. It's totally untenable. And then strangely, something that looked exactly like apartheid came up in 1948. And, and voila, you have the Nakba and the establishment of the state of Israel. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to take away ever from the apartheid comparisons. I think those are great, but I will also say that me and Nathan are reading black reconstruction and, yeah, it feels a little bit like, you know, black codes and, and things like that to a degree, too. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, OK, we have a word called apartheid, which describes a thing. Yeah. Just go ahead and show me a, a couple examples in the real world of what that might be. And if those are significantly different from what's going on in Palestine, mm -hmm. I I assure you, I will stop calling it apartheid mm -hmm. and I this i'm not smart i if you i i don't even I, I wear my mask or don't wear my mask now based on whatever the last person i meet during the day tells me so <laughs> look if, if there's not apartheid someone please show me but right now uh as a dummy it looks pretty apartheidy and i have to say um if you're looking for or uh, if you're trying to make the point that uh the nation you love, Israel, you're maybe you're a liberal Zionist, is not in any way a, a doing a settler colonist, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're like, that's an outrageous claim, 
then maybe the paroxysms of fucking rage that that racked so many people when Ben and Jerry's, as you pointed out, didn't even say like, no, Ben and Jerry's is part of BDS now. They said, if you are actively in East Jerusalem, presumably doing colonizing, (laughs) just knocking down houses, uh, you're going to have to wait till you get home to buy our ice cream. You can't actually get the the chunky monkey while you are in the colonial zone or rather the the most immediate colonial zone mm-hmm. that is such a low bar for such an amazing outrageous fucking reaction absolutely i i, I think a good comparison because it is uh, important to remember that when you're opposing Israel, you're opposing it as a settler colony and you should suppo- oppose all settler colonies the that's United the States. thing i don't like about it that's the the thing, actually. Yeah. It's, if they stop doing that, it'd probably be pretty cool. Yeah, probably but, like them more. Yeah, but um, you should oppose it uh, because it's a settler colony, just like you should oppose the United States. You should suppo- uh, oppose Australia as a settler colony. You should po- oppose Canada. You know any of these settler colonies. And so just imagine, go back in time, in the United States and westward expansion, and imagine a company like just opposed homesteading. Right. And everybody just lost their shit. <laughs> That's what this is. Yeah. Why, why can't I get why can't I get a, a, a fucking New York super fudge chunk at the Hotel Rwanda? <laughs> there used to be excellent ice cream in Cat and Forest. Now there isn't. What happened? PC police. <laughs> Grover Fur showed up and said there's no ice cream that took place here. <laughs> That's I look, maybe he's good at other things. Type of no. But yeah, Nathan, any, anything else on this on uh Ben and Jerry and, and Israel? You've been quiet. No, no, yeah, I'm quiet because David has the cogent points for this uh this this tandem here, and I appreciate him giving them. I have points coming up on gamer gamer related stuff. Oh yeah. All right. How about we take about six points off that gain, huh? Uh, okay. The uh, uh, next thing that happened this week that was stupid is uh, we're the Republicans are on with the vaccine now. Market took uh, Nathan. I know you saw this. It was what an eight hundred point dive, yeah. and and all, as soon as the market took a dive, uh, we had Hannity, Sean Han. You know Hannity. I'm he, familiar. He's sort of like uh, if you were making a pancake face of Tucker Carlson and then you didn't pay attention for a second and it spread out a little bit more and became ungainly. That guy came on and said, come on, guys, we got to get the vaccines. They're helping. They're they're really the best thing that you can do for yourself, your community, your business. You got to get these motherfucking vaccines. And then even Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, Mm -hmm. started calling it the Trump vaccine today. It is oh Trump back, which, by the way, oh, probably is more useful than anything the White House has done. <laughs> just, I mean, this is like this was a joke a year ago where people were like, "Hey, let's just call it the Trump vaccine. Just fucking give it up." And that's what she's doing now. She's like, you know what? We invented it uh, uh, while he was in office. You know, he he oversaw the the legal permissions which allowed this to be fucking whatever you know just a bunch of bullshit no one cares about no one even believes it's just wait if i call it trump vaccine and i get it will that will that get me into the room to trigger and annoy the libs again because now i'm vaccinated too 
And so are you. You got the Trump vaccine, didn't you? That rhetorically is dumb as fuck. But it's a full on the sneeches by Dr. Seuss. They are full on doing the sneeches. <laughs> what are the sneeches? I'll be honest. I did not. I started not reading at a young age. A lot of people take, <laughs> they take years to get to the point where they stop reading. I was about six. The Sneetches was a tale of a group of yellow Dr. Seuss looking creatures that had stars on their bellies. And then a group of identical looking yellow creatures that didn't have stars on their bellies. And a man came to town and offered to put stars on everyone else's bellies. And then the people with stars got real pissed because now everyone looked alike and they wanted their stars off. And they ran through this cycle over and over again until no one could remember who had a star and who didn't. And then they learned a touching moral about how everyone's all the same and we should come together as people. I have a feeling this would just be more wanting to trigger the libs, but, you know, similar pathways. That book sounds lame. I'm glad I played Mario 3 instead of reading. <laughs> you could get a raccoon tail in Mario 3 that let you fly. That was pretty cool. You did have to hold run. You could be a frog and let you swim. You could be a little boot. You could go in. Actually, it's a big boot and you get in it and then plants can't hurt you. That shit, that's lessons. I can do something with that. I just feel uncomfortable now learning about the sneeches. <laughs> you know, as well you should. I, I would no. say I would say two points. One, plants don't hurt me when I wear boots. That's and, true. And two, Nathan compared a situation where Republicans have been putting like basically Holocaust Jude stars on themselves to pretend that they're oppressed and said, you know what this reminds me of? A book about stars on Mars. So you're saying I nailed it is what you're you saying. Nailed you're saying it I nailed it a little it? too much <laughs> little too for comfort. So. Let me ask you, do you guys think this will actually work? I mean, where, how are, no. where is your optimism versus uh, cynicism on this working and uh, where the next six months are? Because, I, again, I don't know what to believe. I see some people telling me, like, yeah, it's fucking done. Best thing you can do. You have vaccinated. Don't think about it. Just, just go out. In New York, that's the vibe. But in L.A., they're doing lockdowns again. And I get people saying, like, Lib, lib fucking virus. Uh, why are you still wearing masks? You're just like psychically scarred. You don't have to do that. Uh, this is now just like the weirdest virtue signaling. They say don't even do it. And then fucking, then there's Delta variant shit where the market's mm -hmm. losing 800. Are we, do you think we're good or are we fucked? I, oh, I think we're fucked. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I'm definitely leaning cynicism because I think the problem, and this is where you get into like, what is fascism right um because then it's total reaction it's it's to the point that fascism is anything other than liberalism and just liberalism in crisis it is explicitly people that have clung on to the ideas and power structures that liberalism has produced when liberalism stops upholding them and so when the market stops upholding their idea of bill gate 5G microchips, the QAnoners are going to lean to their Bill Gates 5G microchips beliefs. Yeah, hmm. I have a, I, I have a, my, my, one of my coworkers, uh, boss or not boss, his wife is a veterinarian and, uh, they had a person come in very genuinely requesting to have their arm checked with this microchip scanner that you get for to like check if your dog's been lost like that microchip they wanted that microchip scanner run on themselves to see if they got microchipped after the vaccine that's... i think that rules that kind yeah. of rules 
That's like that's like 18th century physics where people are like, I don't know, but fucking let me do a little experiment, right? I mean, that, I I told them they should just set up shop. Yeah, honestly, that that's not a bad way to go. But here's the thing: then the Dems are are behind it. That's why it's all a front. It's great that you can just. It's America was birthed as a Protestant nation, and it's great that we have fully returned to the fold in terms of just backwards justifying whatever it is you want to do moment by moment uh, with whatever flimsy or totally unconnected uh, uh, justifications you can come up with. I I like that. We're we're saying like if they want something, it's God's will. And if they don't like it, it's the Catholics fault. Is that what we're going for? Look, if I want the vax, it's actually quite good. Uh, If I don't want the vax, that's good. Uh, If there's a business that'll check me for microchips and I want to know if there's a microchip in me, then that's good and I'll believe it. Uh, If I don't want that particular service, then it's a hoax and part of a deep source conspiracy. It's just, you know, it's sort of choose your own adventure. But no matter which path you go down, the last page is you go absolutely fucking insane. Which, yeah, America, America's fun. Uh, next day, Tuesday, mm-hmm. a little thing. Uh, Poland had to disqualify. <laughs> Sorry, this isn't really a political thing. I just, I just love this. Poland sent too many swimmers to the Olympics, so the Olympic Committee went. What the fuck is this? You didn't. This isn't like the. Why did you send all of your swimmers to the Olympics? And it's just such a perfectly Polish thing to to be like. I don't know. It's the fucking Olympics, right? Like you decide who's the best swimmer. What we have to do that first? How about we just send them to you and you tell us who the best fucking swimmer? That's such a beautiful Slavic mentality uh, that I just I love to see that some things will never change. It doesn't affect anything. No Polish people are winning medals. Don't we win the one where they put a ball and chain uh, on the edge of you, and then you spin it around and see how far you can throw it? That that one we win, and everything else. So, no, no, no real harm done. Just another opportunity for the entire world to take a look at, uh, and, and take a look and really laugh at a nation that that deserves both those things uh, together. Always, yeah. Yes. Take a hard look, then laugh. But are you guys, I don't know about you, but like, I didn't know the Olympics were on. Now it's sort of like breaking through because I feel like every media channel is like, check it out, the Olympics. Yeah. Is it just me or does like this Olympics suck? Like, I just feel like it's sort of like a wet fart Olympics. We are canonically a hockey podcast. Therefore, the Winter Olympics is the only Olympics that our podcast will recognize or uh, engage with. Uh, and only when the hockey part is going on. But that being said, yeah, no, this one feels completely dead. There, there doesn't seem to be any joy or any like anything to it. People are getting sent home for fucking COVID. Aren't the stadiums like uh, basically empty? Totally empty. The, the, our our track star got disqualified for weed, which is a huge fucking bummer. <laughs> While by the way, the entire like U.S. women's soccer team is just like cannabis fuels our success and are posing on Sports Illustrated. <laughs> Uh, should have set an alarm, the uh, Shikari or what, whatever, I guess. Um, we've got people testing positive for COVID and getting sent back to America. So even, even if you're like, oh, cool, my favorite athlete that I only heard of fucking one week ago, mm-hmm. they can just randomly vanish. 
I don't know. This just seems really fucking embarrassing to me. They're, but, they're but, sleeping but, on cardboard beds so that they can't fuck. Yeah, there's the Olympics are known as the world's biggest sexiest orgy, and there's none of that. Although I do like the idea that like the most attractive athletic people in the entire world will be told to sleep on a cardboard box, so now they can't have sex. Like they can't figure out anything else: the floor, the shower, standing up, couch. No, they can't do those stress positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not before perform. First of all, I, I want to quibble with the idea that that it was it the the biggest sexiest orgy. To my mind, that will always be Finland's strongest man competition. <laughs> yeah, what you see on TV is good, but what you don't see on TV is even better. Uh, and also, yeah, look, a cardboard bed. There's going to be fucking Latvians showing up, just like my God, they gave us the sweep by accident. Like I. <laughs> I think the Olympic Committee is forgetting how much of the world currently uh, fucking copulates on hay beds. So, yeah, good good try. But th- thanks for making us feel fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what all I paid attention to other than that is, uh, let's see, I saw the disqualification of Shakara Richardson from, from weed, like you pointed out. I saw that there were two totally cisgender women that were not doping that I guess had too much testosterone and got disqualified. Um, so, you know, anybody who thinks transphobia isn't just misogyny, well, or racism, there it is on its face. Uh, and then I saw that the, the, uh, New York times was saying that, Hey, the U S is leading in medals. And not only is it so early that nobody even knows the Olympics are on and they're talking about six medals, but it was one gold, two silver, and three bronze. And China had three gold and two bronze. And it was like, that's usually they like rank those or point those or something. They don't just go number of medals. That's been something that, you know, I don't know if it'll happen this time, but it, it's another one of those self-serving like, like Protestant metrics where like, yeah, whatever I'm doing is, is the best. I saw a, a headline, I think in the Times, that was like, China is earning medals. And scorn for their human rights record. Yeah. It's like, hey, stick to sports times. <laughs> Norm, was... Normally, I, I, every time a fucking, uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, an archer from fucking, where, where is there, does anyone know a country that's bad? Can anyone think of a country that's bad with a human rights problem? Albania? Albania seems bad. Yeah, it's not like we, we bring up the human rights uh, when when fucking Poland wins the hammer toss, it's not like they yeah. start talking about uh, the the massacre of the hospitaler knights in fucking sixteen fifteen. Actually, yeah, I think no they one, were the Teutonics. No one no one thinks like here's Ukraine and goes oh so that uh, that Azov battalion sporting country just won another goddamn silver medal. Yeah. So at some point we are going to be uh, overtaken. Right? and not be number one we really thought sports the basketball team lost to france today it really yeah. does feel like as empire fades uh our our art and sports are going to reflect that and those have always been refuges for us <laughs> and i just i can't wait for the psychic damage you know uh, the, the united states has dominated summer olympic medals for so long and usually winter olympics but you know i mean um, Canada, Soviet Union have challenged it there, but Summer Olympics, the United States has just racked the floor for so many years, 
and now China's already kind of showing up here. And I'm just wondering if China winds up with the most medals, is it just going to be a continuous whoever has the highest GDP has the highest number of medals in the Summer Olympics? Is that oh, just they the listed truth GDP on the uh, the little intro service thing the, they do? The walking in, the opening ceremony. Really? Bizarre. But anyway, I, that, that shit, I've been watching that shit. Good for Poland on really, they saw that the bar for disappointment and stupidity was set pretty high by the Olympic Committee, and they said, not on my fucking watch. <laughs> um Next thing, this one could be uh, contentious, perhaps. Did you guys know there was a Medicare for All march? Yeah. Mm, yep. Uh, uh, any thoughts on on that shit? Because I I have some, but I, I'd rather hear yours first, so I can know uh, <laughs> who I'm upsetting. It's 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 a messy assortment of thoughts because number one. Obviously, we support Medicare for all, right? And support it as as you know a measure within the system we have now until we just knock the damn system over and make a better one, right? Um, also, there's been some interesting endorsement or lack of endorsement of it. This is supposed to be a thing taken up by a lot of left Democrats and the big headliners of those guys, AOC, Bernie. Uh, we're not really paying attention that this march existed. Meanwhile, a couple ones, like I know here in St. Louis, Cori Bush uh, was there, um, and she definitely falls into that crew. Um, but then the whole history of this thing, first it kicked off, and I don't know if people are familiar with this, but uh, uh, Matthew Heimbach, who was... Uh, the founder of the traditional workers party. And that was one of those like where they use socialist terms for an explicit Nazi party type thing. Right. This was an overt white supremacist, big proud boys guy. He came up and he was planned to be one of the speakers as Matthew H. Bach. And then it turned out he actually wasn't and no one had heard of him. Um, but somebody within the movement had put him up as one of the speakers and, like, like threw him on the little uh, uh, template or flashboard yeah. where it's just like new speaker today. And yeah. it's like, you know. Yeah. And released it straight from their thing. And so a lot of the leaders in this and the, the group that is doing this is uh, Americans for Democratic Action. These are the, the people that are like force the vote, did the force the vote on Medicare for all. So they've definitely mm -hmm. supported Medicare for all um, for a while. Force the vote was the idea that. Um, now that the squad and all of them are in, they mm -hmm. should uh, sort of do the uh, uh, what was a Tea Party sort of uh, caucus and obstruct thing. Yeah. Say like we have enough of a block now that we are not going to rubber stamp everything. We're yeah. going to be at least an obstacle that you have to walk in the room and and deal with. Uh, and they were going to do that. Try to yeah. force a Medicare for all Which vote to get people on the record for whatever. Well, you can think that's strategic or tactical or, or mm -hmm. whatever, but that was the the plan. It's now that we got the squad in and we got like justice Democrats or, mm -hmm. you know, more left-leaning progressives. Now we'll really push the Medicare for all stuff and keep Biden's feet to the fire or whatever. And then it seemed like the other side was, um, that's not how this works. Uh, we need more reps and we need to protect the democratic reps we have in 
a sort of real politics stuff. Is that yeah. sort of close? Because it sounds like you got that's, it better than me. Yeah, that, that was my understanding of it too, which I mean, for that, totally support that that plan. Because again, not big on electoral politics. And my understanding was that, um, you know, Americans for Democratic Action were not necessarily, it was just use the electoral politics that are presented, right? And uh, and so get that, that's cool. Um, but there had been issues with, you know, OPSEC and things like that at that point right and what would that be issues with opsec what does that mean i'm, for people I'm that trying aren't to remember what, what it operators? was but um god i can't even remember it was a operational head. security yeah operational security so like infiltration and, and things like that and that's that's kind of what reared its head here this the matthew heimbach thing was definitely someone who was inside who had had posted that infographic and and so there, there was definitely, and there were concerns the whole time, and murmurs, kind of rumors coming up the whole time that like, okay, there's some fascist infiltration here. You guys got to be more careful. And and it seemed like a lot of the leaders publicly were like, no, this is a tactic by the the mainstream Debs Dems to 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 knock us down. And it was like, no, that was you fucking up. Take a little accountability up up your opsec. And they they didn't want to. And so it kind of gets back to that like, you know, are they incapable or are they stupid? And I'm sorry, are they are they incapable and stupid or are they are they lying? And it doesn't matter which one, you know. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely OPSEC issues there. And then some of the speakers are like, um, you know, Isabella uh, Finarini, who uh, I'm trying to remember what is it Sam Sater's podcast she came from. But whatever it is, she's been like this this left facing person and she doesn't even support medicare for all and she's had left facing from like like left left reputation like i can see the left from over here sure yeah (laughs) like like people think of them as as farther left than democrats right as outside of the the mainstream and real left leaning but not not actually so much when you hear about some of the bullshit they mail out you know jimmy Dore is in that that category i think he was a speaker there too and so I've definitely had an issue with like who some of the speakers are, how they handle the op, OPSEC, um, things like that. But in general, the the march did seem to be decently sized, um, in spite of the the lack of political endorsement, which I don't care if elected politicians endorse it. Uh, it seemed to go well, so I have very, I have very mixed feelings about the whole thing. But all in all, it happened. It did happen. Fifty six, uh, fifty six marches. Yeah, yeah. Which is 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 a wonder of organization. That's that's excellent. Yeah, Nathan, what was your take? I I was in the same boat where I I was getting a little leery at the people that were going up, um, the individual speakers that were going up, but the concept itself seemed like the kind of the kind of thing that would need to happen. It needed to, like, I was not opposed to the fact that it wasn't getting endorsed by politicians. I was actually very fine with that because I think almost everything we need to do organizing wise needs to happen outside the electoral space. The more of that that happens, the more you can build um, alliances that aren't dependent on electoral power to get things done. You can show, I mean, again, BDS. BDS is a movement that's entirely outside. There's no AOC and them aren't going up and endorsing BDS and stuff like that. They're they're running away from it like it's like it's the plague. But it's still obviously getting things done. It's achieving tangible goals and putting pressure in the right places. So I was very okay with the fact that it was going to happen. Um, again, the the who's in charge and what was it? Who wasn't it? One of like uh, what's his face? Wasn't it one of Mayor Pete's? Oh yes, yes. Organizers? Okay. So 
the finances, because every one of these big things is also a fundraiser, right? For your organization and to do more on the ground work, things like that. And the person in charge of the finances, to my understanding, based on the publicly available data on their website, and they, they cited this name, is Elizabeth Meyer. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know who Elizabeth Meyer is, do you remember? I think everybody knows who Elizabeth Meyer is. <laughs> um, oh, Lizzie Mize? Come well, yeah. on. Uh, you learned about she, her in school. She was a Mayor Pete surrogate and and she put out a shit ton of articles after iowa after that whole like weird iowa debacle where pete kind of won and nobody believed it and it just seemed to be kind of a shot against bernie um she was putting out god knows how many uh articles about like you know iowans find refuge in pete Buttigieg and and shit like that i mean she must have put out God, 20 articles for 11 different publications like the day after she was a major, major um, Pete Buttigieg surrogate. And she's and of course, you know, Pete was against it was used in Iowa to sabotage Bernie's campaign so much as Bernie would have done anything for for Medicare for all. And um, and Pete himself, of course, was very anti Medicare for all. And so if he you have trusted a, Americans to make their own decisions about right. health care not laying out what the options might be that you were choosing between, which was pretty handy when those options are dog shit. So smart on him. Yeah. So, so when you have, you know, shaky choices of speakers, uh, you have shaky infiltration um, concerns. And then the person in charge of your finances is a surrogate for a candidate that was there to sabotage Medicare for all. It, it definitely raises some eyebrows. And that was that was basically my whole contention with it was I just didn't I I I don't trust who's organizing it. Um, and that worries me because I, I then worry, yeah. is this just a ploy for money? Is this just a game? Is this is this actually trying to achieve a tangible end? Um, that's the only thing. But I'm I'm wildly pessimistic at almost all hours of the day. So I'm probably not the best <laughs> one. Rob, what was your take on it? Um, I'm sort of, you know, I think I'm straddling it a a little bit. I have to say that I found the whole force the vote thing just extremely uh, distasteful, not the force the vote camp, not the force the vote idea, but just the idea of, or the dynamic of of people splintering over Mm -hmm. a tactical question, which like, okay, that's, that's fine. But it doesn't seem like there's been any reconciliation. It feels like the, the brain bug that trains Americans to just see everyone who isn't exactly like them uh, as the enemy has, has like broken people's brains such that there's like AOC stand squad fucking Dem party booster DSA doesn't even bother to come out for the Medicare for all March. Fuck you guys. We should make our reps as uncomfortable as possible at any given time. The world's on fire. What do you mean? Now's the not, not the right time. And by the way, people's individual worlds on fire. You know, I got, I got someone, right fucking now whose fucking teeth are falling out and they can't deal with it because it's like medical issues are an issue for everyone right now. And if you're like, yeah, we can wait. That's that, that is someone who does not have a pressing medical issue in front of them. So I understand that perspective. And also the fact that generally the people that argued against force, force the vote seem to be uh, more of your like, Sock Dem, Democrats are the way forward. When the Justice Democrats are a hundred people, that'll be the right time. Of course, we go back to that Chomsky quote. When you have a hundred Justice Democrats uh, in Congress, they're probably not going to be 
the thing at that point that they sold you on or that you believed they were going to be. But that's sort of the one side. And then the other side is just like, you have guys that go on Tucker Carlson uh, who are just in general, they don't like their reps. They're not happy. Uh, they demand action now and they don't shut up about it, which is the worst thing. If uh, people think you're wrong is they just keep going. And that's, res- that's totally respectable in, in the sense of like, yeah, I think there should be a current, this is the, the purpose of like the activist class is to always say that like, no, we can do better. Let's go and let's do it now. I think that's a, a useful uh, yeah. segment. I, I will just read quickly. Uh, there, there's Katie Halper said something uh, this week, and then there's sort of a, a response, I think sort of summed it up nicely. So uh, Katie said, who I like Katie Halper. I I, uh, I haven't seen a, a, too much of her stuff, but I got friends that like worked for her before. But I only hear good things. So uh, she says there are 40 Medicare for all marches today. I I guess there ended up being more. Dedicating your entire Twitter timeline to shitting on them because a group of hundreds of speakers has people you don't like in it is embarrassing. People are dying. Organize your own rally or shut up. Seriously, I don't like all the speakers. And so what? Get over yourselves. When you have hundreds of speakers, you're not going to like all of them. Grow up, elevate, and amplify the voices of the ones you do like. You made your point. We get it. At least have the decency to pretend you're doing something more productive than this. Let's just keep our eye on the ball, right? Which is just like there, there's 50 plus marches for a subject you care about. Uh, and you manage to find a reason that like liberals coincidentally aligns with your best interests, which is, uh, you know, hanging out on Saturday and not having to go stand in the sun. Someone commented that that's not the point, Katie. The organizers did not do the grassroots work it takes to bring out folks in large numbers for their march. These people did a lot of unforced, harmful errors that have opened them up to critique. And yes, a lot of online trolling. Um, yeah. And yeah, I would and say I, this falls, this kind of, to me, falls into that category of this is a sort of thing that I would want to. And, and, and there's a reason we're not that we didn't discuss it very publicly or anything like that. Um one, it's not a movement we're a part of, so I don't I don't feel a lot of room to critique it all that terribly much because it's ostensibly trying to achieve a goal that I would I would see as po- purely positive. Um, the other thing is this seems like something that you'd want to fight about behind closed doors. You would want to fight about this amongst yourselves, not out in the open where you can sow division and kind of that thing. I put it in that same kind of category. They don't, but uh, each side doesn't see the other as themselves. Yeah. Right. They, they see them as like existential threats. Like we have 20 justice Dems or whatever. We have we have the squad and it's growing. And if you attack them now, climate change is around the corner. You're you're basically sentencing all of us to death. And then you want to send me a Jimmy Dore video. You're Hitler. And then the other side is just like, we're dying. <laughs> healthcare, please. Yeah, I don't care how many curse words Jimmy Dore says. I don't care. Uh, if he if he tries to recruit white supremacists to be into Medicare for all too, I just want to fucking get my health care. I, yeah. I see. I, I look. I, I see both in, sides I here because I'm very annoying. I I understand that, and that that's the thing where it's like, what are you but criticizing? Like they should for? be on the same side. Sorry. Yeah. No, it, it's a question of what are you criticizing for, right? Because you get the same yes. thing in, in in even the major partisan politics, right? If I go out and I say. Nancy Pelosi is a giant piece of shit. It's because she's a corporate loving, you know, high end Democrat that's 
um, super pro capitalists and will do the like Pete Peterson. Oh, my God, we can't get the, the national debt too high. So screw the poor. And oh, my God, look, Jimmy Kimmel, I've got like four hundred dollar ice cream in my freezer. How cute is that shit? Right. That's a lot different than some Republican going, Nancy Pelosi is the devil because she doesn't think gay people should go to conversion therapy, right? And so if you just hear, like, Nancy Pelosi is a piece of shit, how do you know? And you get the same kind of criticism with this march, right? Where if they're going, you know, I have a problem with it because Jimmy Dore's a speaker, it's going, you know, the the cause of this you can't you can't fix this without a a decolonial revolution and the most hard hit people outside of course you know people in the global south within the united states are going to be black and indigenous people and beyond that any people of color i can't be going supporting a march for a guy that's that's going to march with nazis just to get this one policy pushed um, versus people that are going to be like, well, fuck this. This has Jimmy Dore in it uh, because they just want an excuse to not get off their ass. And it's a matter of why are people saying it? And and some evidence of that is is more when and how. But like Nathan says, you know, I mean, this is this is a huge march. It had a lot of people organized. Uh, I support what's being marched for. I get the idea. I have major concerns with with the march itself. But me and Nathan do not spend our time even when we do have very real concerns and we're not going to throw our you know black and indigenous and trans uh comrades under under the bus um for medicare for all um even we have major concerns we we just don't go out there and shit on on the ground organizing um it's just not our style there's not enough of it so we will raise concerns when appropriate that's why we felt comfortable speaking on it today when the subject came up but obviously we haven't breached the subject in our podcast because we're not out here to shit on on the ground organizing. It's just not something we do. We need more It would on be weird organizing. if you were talking about like black reconstruction and then you were like, and, and Jimmy Dore yells at his staffers. I mean, it might be true, <laughs> but it's just a weird placement for that. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll move on. I'll, I'll just sum up by saying like, like for me on the speaker issue, that's shitty, right? Uh, but I'm kind of with Katie Alper where it's like, there's 50, there's like 50 marches, right? Someone's turned down your headphones. Cause I can now hear my voice coming out of your, your thing. If someone fucked their sound anyway, uh, look, when I go, I'll use a comedy reference. When, when I go like to an open mic, I'm going because I support comedy. Maybe I'm going because I support one or two of my, my friends in particular, you know, but I go there and at an open mic comedy show, uh, I am going to see like some mediocre comedy, some really good comedy. Maybe I'll see my friend perform and then I'll just see some goddamn weirdos. I mean like fucking weirdos. Like the last, I went to a a comedy club in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Actually, I shouldn't say any more than that because I famously had a bar fight with a bunch of Gasanos over the Bay of Pigs there. So for (laughs) legal reasons, I won't say which one, but it's like, Maybe that's proof that there's assholes at these shows, right? Uh, Like, there's going to be people there you don't like, but this Mm -hmm. is kind of how people get reps. Like, yeah, I will totally give, I I don't know for sure, but let's say they did have bad OPSEC and they got trolled and they got owned because objectively they are bad at organizing. Well, guess what? We have a fucking niche community. Most people in America aren't socialists. They don't even know what socialism is. They think like the stimulus check was socialism. And so we are like an, a weird fucking back of bar open mic night. We're kind of a small tent right now. And 
nobody, uh, fucking half these people, like including myself, 10 years ago, it wasn't like they were getting reps in organizing. Like Bernie Sanders and, and Occupy and a lot of fucking left tradition has brought a lot of new bodies and people into these spaces. And I think it's a little... It's a little silly. You're, you're not being realistic with yourself about where we are and how far we have to go. If just, I mean, like I know one of the women that organized this is just like unemployed, disabled, selling her clothes to buy posters because she cares about, you know, Medicare for all. Does she know what she's doing? I don't think she's ever done this before. I think a lot of people, this is their first time at organizing, but you have to get reps. Like it's not that, We've clearly seen we can't just stick with the numbers and leaders we have now because it hasn't produced the results. Anything. Yeah. So so when I I'll just say when when I when I look at the the actual events, and some of them had poor turnout, some of them had good turnout, right? I'm like, okay, good, fine. Uh no, no elected officials uh show. I think Cory Bush showed up, although that they didn't like that either. Yeah. And I think one rep from like New Mexico or Arizona showed up at, at their local one, but it's like, of course they're bad at this. And maybe it didn't move the needle at all, but like, at least they're getting better at something that leads to the sort of like people power mass mobilization that you'd like to one day see they're building the skill set. And by the way, for the people that hate all the force to vote Medicare for all March stuff, AOC and Nina Turner uh, didn't show up because they had a, a get out the vote event in Ohio. Um, it's not like that was that much more successful anyway. They got 15 people to turn out. AOC went halfway across the country for 15 people. So none of this is fucking super encouraging. Let's all just try to be understanding about that and get some reps in is where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, and and the- something something that, that uh, you know, I'll, I'll speak to again here too is, is that is a trouble that people wrestle with. Like, let's say you go into an org and then you find there's issues with that org and you've had to leave it because people do that, right? I mean, you know, a big socialist party out there is PSL. There's a number of people that have gone in and out of there for criticisms, things like that, right? Let's say you go into that org and now some new people are being recruited into to left organizing and they're kind of going through the motions you've been through there. It's where's the cutoff with like, oh no, I've been through that. Where do I guide them out of that harm versus am I just going to make them turn tail and, and run the other way and they've got to learn their own their own lessons you know and and that's a difficult thing but also like you said the competing thing is get out the vote well if we're anti-electoralists because none of these shitheads in the democratic party are going to support what we're doing why do we care more about a get out the vote thing fuck that yeah and i mean that that also assumes you have a long-term faith in in democratic electoral possibilities like just getting in let alone uh, being able to successfully legislate yeah. It's also not a great argument, by the way, that you have both houses in the presidency and uh, he's still not really legislating that well. So <laughs> it's not getting any easier. But uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that, Nathan, and, and move on. Uh, we'll rapid fire these. You just have a little bit more time here. Uh, <laughs> Russia's permafrost is melting. That's a pretty dope article. I saw that. It's uh, apparently scientists estimate 1.7 billion tons of carbon is released annually by permafrost melting between October through April. And that's almost twice as high as previous estimates and far exceeds the 1 billion tons of carbon sucked up during the growing season. So 
Currently, this carbon-rich soil covers 24% of land in the Northern Hemisphere, and it holds in it more carbon than has ever been released by humans cumulatively in all of time. Uh, scientists from Hamburg University said that if we were to like do ecological development, like introducing animals and stuff to like scuff up the permafrost, it would allow the cold to like get deeper and maybe maintain the permafrost a bit longer, you know, like by disturbing it, it actually, mm -hmm. I guess, holds its place better. It insulates better or whatever. Uh, they said if that tactic was deployed across 24% of the land in the Northern hemisphere, uh, 80% of all permafrost soils around the globe could be preserved until 2100. Then we're still fucked. Then you're out of it. Yeah, sorry. Right. We're just talking about buying time now. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, our little climate update is Russian permafrost is melting uh, uh, quicker than shit, and we're not getting anything for it other than uh, rhino dick. Yeah. And I mean literally rhino dick. Rhino dick. Uh, yeah. The 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 like archaeologists, the whatever, the, the paleo yeah, the paleontologists are loving it because like woolly mammoths keep popping up. And this week, what spurned the story? The, it's just a, a, it's nice when something you know pops over the edge and reminds you the the fucking existential doom that you've been trying to not think of every second of every day, but is and make no mistake uh, the inexorable fate of the human race. Uh, socialism or barbarism, baby. But what prompted this story was they found a woolly rhino. I didn't know woolly rhinos existed. Uh, and it was, it, it was, you know, it's like a fossil. It's pretty tore up, except they said it was maintained. Uh, I think it was some, some feet, the head and the dick was maintained. So I just like, I like the idea, look, climate change is going to kill all of us, and that's bad. But what's worse is dying in a field, falling over, waiting like 15,000 years or million years. I don't know. I went to school in Florida. And then they discover you by seeing your dick poking out of the permafrost, and everyone looks at it. And then they write a, they write a news story like, look at this old-ass dick. I don't know. Maybe I only relate to that because I'm 35. <laughs> I guess... I guess it depends on how impressive that is, right? It's like, damn, they made good dicks 15 million years ago, or they're like, ah, oh, look at this little shrimp shit. This was look, all I have. I did read an article that said American dicks are shrinking, probably because of like you know poison or whatever. So nice. you know, this could be a real big. F this really it, it proves the fact. You're right. Like if, if he came out there just dragging crazy hog, which I don't know how rhinos are doing right now, but that would be an important zoological discovery. Uh, I didn't follow up and, and see how the rhino hog was, which is really the first, that's a first for me. Uh, but I'm glad the paleontologists are getting good stuff out of the fact that uh, 2100 is if we turn a quarter of the Northern Hemisphere into a zoo, we can get to 2100 before it's all fucking gone. No permafrost, just fucking melted. I hope oh. the fucking Justice Dems figure it out. So just in case you thought that Tiger King guy was some kind of mullet wherein reactionary, he was setting the stage on how to save the planet from climate change for 100 years. Look, apparently if you let animals run around and don't build condos, uh, that'll maintain for a little bit. I, I also... But, just saying, land, land, another, another plug for land back. Mm -hmm. I, Except I'm this is really like interested. Land back to, to non-indigenous animals, but... 
Eh, tomato, tomato. Look, I I want to know what's under there. It's it and it's in a Slavic country too, so it could be fucking I, anything. I'm I'm ready. I just think this is probably a good time for people to watch the thing and remember that we don't want climate change. <laughs> Look, I'm ready for for like 15 years from now. It's not Rhino Dick. They fucking unearth this beautiful resplendent nine foot nephilim with just like golden hair and he's just like my god my slumber has been long i am i am the the dominion angel muriel the forefather the antediluvian father like in the world of darkness of the slavic race and he's just got like alabaster skin and cerulean eyes as he peers over the horizon at everything and, and then he has to talk to the slavic paleontologist and go what what has become of my children and it's like buddy i got real bad news for you <laughs> we've sent you're, too many swimmers that's right you're not you're not gonna like where this goes okay but i'm i'm ready i'm, I'm ready for gehenna um in positive news a leftist teacher is peru's president-elect i don't know if anyone caught that Oh, uh, yes, yes. We a are... teacher in one of the poorest communities in the Andes, who they always throw this in, had never held office. Yeah, that's that's everyone who gets in for the first time. That's what you want them to fucking get experience before applying for the entry level job, you fucking idiots. Uh, is now the president elect after officials in the South American country declared him the winner of a runoff election uh, held last month against the far right uh, psycho. Now, the leftist Pedro Castillo catapulted from unknown to president-elect with the support of the country's poor and rural citizens, many of whom identify with the struggles the teacher has faced. Ah, imagine that. Uh, Castillo was officially declared winner Monday after the country's electoral count became the longest in 40 years as his opponents fought the results. Castillo received 44,000 more votes than the right-wing politician uh, Keiko Fujimori in the June 6th runoff. And this is the third presidential election defeat for the daughter of imprisoned former president Alberto Fujimori. Um, There's... This sounds good. I don't know if it's good because Michael Brooks is dead and so I have no other resource. Um, nice W for Peru. Oh, th- this is this is excellent. So this is something... Yeah, hit me with that. Yeah, this is something we've been on for a little bit. We were kind of watching it unfold. Um, and this is something that's also been uh, covered really well uh, by Cossachan uh, News, K-A-W-S-A-C-H-A-N News, uh, which is a Bolivian uh, news agency uh, that was recently founded. Um, but anyway, so, <laughs> by the way, there are some details left out about Alberto Fujimori, who was a, a U.S.-backed dictator uh not not a good guy we'll put it that way oh no um, the ap the ap story definitely wasn't highlighting the downsides of uh the opponent they put yeah. in the headline like a political novice with no idea so it, you know fair and balanced journalism there yeah yeah um but no uh fujimari was in office throughout the 90s and this was you know immediately post reagan's contra sponsorship and it was it was along the same lines right you know a, a fascist dictator um in a south american country um this is a big part of how you know the the lima group meets in lima you know um and and that's a big u.s outpost much like the oas for imperialism in uh, south america um so basically there was you know 10 12 candidates something like that because peru runs a big election and fujimori versus pedro castillo was the runoff but castillo wasn't looking in the initial election like anything 
no one knew who the shit this guy was. And he was a Marxist Leninist, self-avowed Marxist Leninist teacher from uh, a rural area. And they, they he's an ML. He says like, I'm an ML. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's kind of similar to uh, Salvador Allende where he was an ML, but he ran um, through electoral politics. Why do white people have the gene that prevents them from saying they're MLs? I, like I, I, I thought that know. like we were all genealogically like DNA wise, like 99.999% similar but there's yeah. something about latin america that they managed to summon the courage to actually say the name of their political beliefs yeah it's uh, fantastic it seems easy it, i mean i don't does. know every time i try it's like liar liar you know yeah i'm just like <laughs> I, I think i'm a marxist <laughs> i want to play with it you know but um but yeah so i mean he's openly in ml and if there was anything to criticize him on um it was you know some of his social things with the uh, lgbt plus issues which the one progressive candidate in that i mean again all the right wing is is very homophobic down there too there's only one person that really had any good lgbt plus uh politics and that was veronica mendoza who was the together for peru um presidential candidate and she pretty immediately went out and endorsed pedro castillo uh which was a good sign both for him being more open on those issues and for having a true left backing and it was a very close election fujimori tried to scream fraud but uh the peruvian yeah the longest recount or the longest counting yeah uh, in ever. 40 years yeah like i mean that, there was yeah. some, some 2000 u.s florida bullshit just waiting to happen and and you know the general imperialist fashion much like what you kind of saw with with uh ecuador uh, when arrows had to to uh, concede the election um but it turned out castillo you know held out in the electoral um uh officials uh decided he won without fraud and that's very, very important. You know, this is someone that's probably going to kick out the Lima group, uh, buddy closer to, to China and Venezuela um, and, and Cuba and Nicaragua. This is someone who's going to nationalize industry, especially raw material industries. This is a very, very good thing for Peru, who has a checkered history. You know, Peru is is um, the home of, of Gonzalo's, which, who was a, a self-avowed Marxist-Leninist. I believe Marxist-Leninist Maoist, but might have just been Marxist-Leninist, uh, but butted heads with a lot of the indigenous groups at the time um, and was very, you know, uh, dogmatically Marxist-Leninist to the, the detriment of the entire left movement in Peru, which is what let the U.S. get such a good imperial foothold in Peru. Nothing like Colombia, but probably even more than Ecuador or, or anything like that, the importance to, to the United States. And so this is a, a huge defeat for the United States in a geopolitical level and a huge win for the Peruvian people. Um, very, very good thing. And you also, you'll love it because he was a teacher. His political symbol the whole time was a pencil, was like a sharpened number two pencil. And uh, so, yeah, anytime you want to support Peru right now, just, you know, little pencil emojis everywhere. That's cute. I like that. Very hard to demonize a pencil. Mm -hmm. It's very unthreatening. Hammer and sickle are just farm implements, but like, you know, you look at them and it's like, ooh, kind of spooky. It's a fucking pencil. It's also funny. I saw what the Joker did with a pencil, man. Those things can be vicious. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can do that one time. Yes. That's really the only, that's a hard one. To, that's sort of an Aikido move where like he really needed the guy to come at him just so and not resist too hard. Uh, there's also a nice thing if you're looking at some of these uh, South American anti-imperialist and, and left-leaning presidents now, you're, you're kind of noticing 
a theme that makes what left leaning means to be obvious. You know, we had Trump, big business fuck guy, Biden, who's been in politics since God knows when in South America and Peru, they've got a literally teacher. the first day he could. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Peru, they've got a teacher, Venezuela, they've got a bus driver, Bolivia, they, they've, uh, well, actually they don't have an indigenous leader anymore, but they have an indigenous vice president again. And they did have an indigenous president and Evo Morales, um, before that. So, you know, I mean, it, it's very obvious who the left stands for down there. Well, we, we actually, uh, we got a bit more time. Don't worry. I'm keeping my eye on, on the clock. I want to hold <laughs> nice. you guys too much. Uh, but I was just wondering, you know, this has already been covered a bit, but, uh, is, do you know what's going on with Cuba currently? Now that we've got a little bit of time, did this basically <laughs> fail? Did, did they run out of hashtag support? Was the messaging so bad? No one knew why exactly Cuba wasn't, what happened? I, I heard something about a bunch of gusanos wanting to go down in boats and remake Bay of Pigs on yachts. And I don't think that even actually happened. Uh, I know it's a good, good sign that that things went to shit when all of the sudden the Havana syndrome CIA agent stories are popping back up. And there's a, a hundred agents with with the uh, uh, Havana syndrome. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was quite the attempt at at the color revolution there um they went all in there's a color revolution oh yeah so a color revolution is something where and typically these are are counter revolutions that are quote-unquote revolutions and they're largely represented by colors but they mimic the eastern bloc collapses the yugoslav collapses we have a couple episodes on the the collapse of yugoslavia on our podcast um, to give you an idea of it. Also, Luna Oi online made a nice little checklist of the color, best color revolutions. How do you not love Luna, right? Yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, Knows what she's talking about. And uh, made a little checklist on them in, in Vietnam. But basically, these are revolutions where you're, quote-unquote revolutions, where you're, quote-unquote, peaceful protesters, and you're trying to get outside help to come and bomb and sanction and collapse a government so that your right-leaning people that are totally just wanting freedom and democracy can come to power thanks to outside influence. And you're trying to win the population within a country enough, just enough to weaken the government so the outside can come in, whether it's bombing or sanctions or whatever, to collapse them. And you'll notice in these protests, there's a lot of American flags, also British Union Jack, symbols a lot of english speaking signs a lot of signs about human rights a lot of similar I, oh go ahead i was just gonna say i think uh i think people see that and it doesn't and it feels like normal but yeah. i always think like imagine you were at a, a protest in a in america over an issue and people were holding like fucking french flags and being yeah. like you know Macron, please come in. We love liberty or whatever. Or anywhere. We'll go with, with China, right? right? That would be real fucking weird for like the normal people walking around. Just like, wait a second. You want another country to who already has warships like around our island. You want them to come here and just take over our country. Yeah. Politically. Yeah. You know, like, like it, you don't have to like uh, the election result in Peru. It's a leftist. You know, so I do. Uh, but his own people voted him in there. That's the thing they do in Latin America is, is you know, they're like normal people, too. Mm-hmm. They vote for the person they like. And sometimes they like someone different than you because they have different politics and different material interests. That seems like a normal way to do it. Showing up in your own country uh, and putting on like a play for another country, hoping that they send an F-35 over is weird. 
Yeah. And and just to drive that home too, imagine if the signs were in like Mandarin, if they were Chinese flags or French, if they were French flags. I mean, just it's kind of fucked up and it should be a little obvious uh, to people. But people have trouble recognizing these things because they don't think of it. They see protest good, um, state bad, and then they just let the media set the tone and they smile and nod and they don't even think about whose interest the media is in. And so when they ignore, you know, months of protests and dozens of protesters massacred in Haiti or Colombia, whatever. They don't know about that. That's cool. But then they see a couple hundred protesters in Cuba who doesn't even have these riot police that tear gas people and beat the shit out of people like other countries do. They're just like, oh, a protest. They must be good. We have to support the protesters. Um, and I mean, it's it's just flashy lights. Ooh, ah, is is all it is. And it's just um, a little bit sad. It, and I, I went into this on a couple episodes ago on the show. Um, it was just a little bit disheartening to see because I don't I don't know about you, Rob, but I kind of always have seen Cuba as a as a kind of just baby leftist and just trying to get my bearings on a lot of stuff and not having the deep historical knowledge that someone like David has. Cuba always seemed like the safest thing in the world to support for me. Like it was like, it's Cuba. They're, they're the one. They've stood up to 60 years of imperialism. They have communism as close as anything else has it. They're doing great. They have health care. They have a vaccine for lung cancer. Like, they have all of these things that have survived. And then the second these kicked off, just watching all these ostensible leftists kind of going, well, there's nuanced takes to have here. I could be against the blockade, but also against authoritarianism. And it's like, whoa, when did Cuba even come into question? Like it took no time at all for a little bit of propaganda to drop. And you just, bam, turned on one of the few unassailable, actually existing socialist states. Like that was it. Well, I mean, look, when you were, when you were trained, I, People go like, okay, propaganda, it works on everyone. And if you think it doesn't, it works on you the most. I've talked about this before, but like people get into the habits, right? I understand that you're speaking your ideology and you're doing stuff. And, and this is why like, like taking action, joining groups, locking yourself in makes it more real than this, right? But if you were just algorithmically being led to quote tweets where you can pick holes in someone's ideology... Or, you know, you're, you're in the PSL and you don't want to start a new project because the other organizers are at the IWW or, you know, your, your least favorite podcaster happened to fall on uh, one or the other faction fighting for healthcare. I think if you spent, you say you're all for unity and, you know, big tent and power to the people and all that. Uh, but when you actually behaviorally spend most of your day looking for and picking apart uh, ideological, political, philosophical, rhetorical failures in the people that are ostensibly on your side. Uh, it's going to be like fucking catnip uh, for a state fucking organization. Like, I don't know, whoever you want to be responsible or whoever you want to like lay the blame for a bullshit cover revolution, color revolution in Cuba. I'm going to say the CIA. Uh, uh, it makes it very easy to reflexively when faced with that shiny thing that looks like food uh, to go ahead and take a bite, start picking shit up apart and then realize you got a hook in your mouth and you're being filleted. Uh, yeah. That would be my take there. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that's, that's uh, fantastic. And it, it's something to underscore to that too. Like if you even think about, cause Biden did the whole, like I'm willing to help Cuban people thing. Right. And, he he offered three things and every one of these three things was propaganda, right? It was 
uh, offer to give the Cuban people Internet. Cuban people already have Internet. You know, we're offering right. to give them remittances so the government doesn't take their money. Well, the government doesn't take their money. And by the way, that means like if you send them something on GoFundMe, the government would say, well, the government doesn't now. That's just an excuse to block you from sending well, the money. fucking embargo takes it even if you wanted to give to like charitable causes down there to support yeah. freedom the government fucking takes it through the embargo well, that, anyway that was hilarious when there were people like yeah so if you send money to the anti-cuban protest just don't put the word cuba or gofundme can't give it and it's like that doesn't wake you up a little bit like wait a minute dude yeah, Luna Oi had a great, great thread where she, with pictures, described before and after being embargoed by the U.S. Yes. And it's just like, hey, you know what you could do to help? Not make an entire country's people suffer because you got a little bit embarrassed like 50 years ago. Oh, it, it tells you a lot when people are... 60, are, 70? Yeah, people, people claim to stand for the weakest in a country, right? And so in order to get their way... They harm the weakest in the country. It tells you a little bit that they don't care about the weakest in the country. They care about getting their way. It's it's so on the damn nose, you know. Um, oh, and I was going to say the third thing is vaccines, but they have plenty of vaccines and they'll even have their whole population vaccinated by the end of the year or in a year from now and have 30 percent with at least one dose. And they have vaccines that they can do up to, to three doses. They're they're uh, Soberana um, O2 uh, twice with the Soberana Plus booster has 92% efficacy, as does their Abdalo, which is a two-dose. Uh, but they're short on needles, so they're falling behind on that, and they're having spikes from you know lack of tourism and lack of getting the vaccine out and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you even see Biden's talking points, and it's like every one of those is fucking a bullshit lie and or caused by the blockade. So th- this has been the thing with Cuba since the Mallory document. And anyone who's not familiar with that, um, with the what document? Yeah, uh, Lester Mallory, who was the uh, Secretary of State or the Deputy, it was like Deputy Internal Secretary of State for Eisenhower or some shit like that, uh, sent an internal document on how to handle Cuba as soon as it turned over power to Castro. So this was in 1960. This was like 1959, the the uh, uh, Ventes de Julio revolution um happened and and castro took power in the 1960 they started kicking out american corporations and and turned very very marxist leninist which raul castro already was fidel was agnostic to but immediately jumped on board when the united states was being assholes to him um so you know he took the, the relationships right. matter sometimes yeah, relationships saying. matter and so they kicked out if he US. trusted the u.s maybe it doesn't happen that's Trust right is a big thing they, so they they kicked out the u.s corporations and uh and so you know basically in this memo it basically said the majority of cubans support castro the only way to alienate them is to cause uh, economic hardship and dissatisfaction and we have to weaken life in cuba we have to decrease monetary and real wages we have to bring about hunger and then the desperation will overthrow the government it's basically exactly what the mallory document says and that so, like we have to make sure the people aren't happy mm-hmm. in the system because it if we leave them alone the system might actually produce results in which case we're never getting that out yeah. so yeah, which that's been step one of, of multi-step color revolutions ever since, but it's also been just straight up the plan on Cuba since, you know, and and it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I, there, there's always there's more waning now, especially with young people than there's ever been before on on Cuba because of the propaganda. Cuba, Cuba does have social media and they've had like in 2014, they tried to get 
anti-government artists and things like that. Even with that, people are so overwhelmingly supportive of the government that all this shit isn't changing anything. And so they'll show you pictures of like Fox News kind of hilariously blurred out a sign that said the streets belong to revolutionaries in Spanish because they didn't want people to know it was a pro-government um, thing. Uh, the Associated Press sure. had a picture from Alania Aponte, who's one of their their photographers, uh, at the Maximo Gomez uh, monument, which is a big famous monument in Havana. And you could see the 26 de Julio flag, the, the flag of Fidel. And, and Fidel obviously is, is dead. And, and there's no Castro in power now, but people probably still think Fidel's in power. But that's the flag of the Cuban Revolution. These are very much pro-revolution demonstrations and that got cited in ap with a caption of it being anti-government and then other places got cited either with the same caption that got rolled back with corrections or no caption at all among articles that were saying that the government was was failing or didn't have support implying that that was an anti-government protest in the picture and it was like that's a pro-government protest you know so yeah i mean that's I, I think it failed. As soon as I saw the 100 CIA agents with Havana syndrome, which, of course, nobody reads that and goes, why are there 100 CIA agents in Savannah? They go, oh, yeah, Cuba bad. But as soon as I saw that, I, I it, it was pretty obvious that the cover, color revolution attempt now failed. And so that's good news. Well, I'll tell you who doesn't have good news, and we'll, we'll wrap up on this. Uh, I have an article that... Uh, Nathan, you love, right? Oh, God. It gets into Cuba a little bit. It's in the Washington Post, so you know it's good. Um, Teaching critical race theory isn't indoctrination. Glorifying Stalin is. Uh, Schools in Cuba and Russia deny their country's unpleasant history. Do we want to be like them? So the idea is you need, uh, I think, so the the header seems to imply that without critical race theory, we, we might become soviet russia or cuba which is like that's that's a weird take and that's going to be a theme of this article because more than anything you should take from this that the cia has gotten lazy uh they if if you want to know where their fucking priorities are this article in the washington post was written by stephen l hall he retired from the cia in 2015 after 30 years of running and managing Russian operations. Uh, so th- this is, I guess we, he needed an op-ed about, about Cuba. Uh, what's so funny about this article is that these guys do not know how to write anymore. Like the, the ostensible purpose of the CIA, like if you ask them, you know, you see the ad where it's just like, blah, 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 I have social anxiety disorder and I can still destroy you many weddings or whatever. If you were like, what is on paper your job? Uh, CIA would give you the line of uh, researching and providing uh, timely intelligence to the stakeholders and decision makers of the American federal government, right? So they are report writers. They're, they're, just, they're just putting the documents in the folder in the briefing, right? This shit would get you a C in like high school English class. <laughs> this is nonsensical. You go like, what is... What, do you, what is your point here? What, what are you saying? And that is the point. There's nothing for your brain to latch onto here other than Cuba and Russia bad. That's it. it it's like a, a Which is it, it shows point, that these are people. So dumb. This guy writes with the style of someone that for decades has just been murking people 
and then after the fact going, all right, we'll just put some bullshit in a, in a report. No one reads that shit anyway. Only now he's, he's stepped up to the Washington Post and he still has all those bad habits. So the article starts and uh, Nathan, just speak up if you got something to add. Da- David, scream as loud as you fucking can if you have something to add so I can hear you. Absolutely. Uh, I'll do my best. This is a short article. And then we'll call it a night. Like I said, union guy. As soon as that timer hits punch out, we're punching out. Uh, <laughs> the only downside she'll... to that is we don't get to reminisce and, and Peter Rob's little project to take down Scabby getting fucked. Oh, yeah. Well, look, there's not much to that. Scabby's back. Is Scabby's what that is. back. If you, don't, if you live somewhere that doesn't have Scabby, I feel sorry for you. Scabby's a giant inflatable rat that if you're union, you dump in front of places that are assholes. They don't hire mm-hmm. a union. They're, they're shitty, right? And so walking around New York, you know, you'll walk by some business and there'll be a fucking 25 foot inflatable rat and you'll go, oh, okay, that place sucks. And then you don't go in. It's a great public service. And uh, they, they tried, they, they were sued in court for the idea that the scabby isn't a First Amendment issue. It is, uh, it, it, it's an intimidation tactic. Right. So if you put the the big rat there, people will feel genuine fear and not enter. The, the legal argument, this is like a, a Trump thing, yeah. uh, was that Scabby the rat is is so actually terrifying that it's it's driving people away from the business, not because of what it reflects on the underlying level, right? Scabs, non union labor, uh, but just because big big rat's so scary. <laughs> and the the court or the the NLRB, which is mostly Republicans, even were just like, and this is literally in the memo. They're like, we let the Westboro Baptist Church uh, uh, do homophobia dead veterans. Um, I don't think this rat is really <laughs> as terrifying. <laughs> I'm I'm not leaning on my concealed carry permit when I see Scabby the fucking rat in front of Fred Amange. <laughs> But so big dub for him. You can definitely see Scabby again. Yes. Uh, just hold on to that brief moment of joy as, mm-hmm. as we spend 10 minutes on this amazing article by Stephen L. Hall. So, quote, we started learning how to spell in school today, Mom. A is for AK-47, the kind of gun the revolution used to kill the Yankee traders at the Bay of Pigs. That was the report of an American first grader attending school in Havana whose parents were diplomats at the U.S. Embassy in the communist island nation. The bilingual Hispanic couple wanted their young son to have a Spanish-language-based education, and so it decided to send him to a Cuban school. Instead of learning the alphabet the way we do in the U.S., think A is for apple, B is for banana, the child came home with A is for assault rifle. The Cuban teacher had even provided a line drawing of an AK-47 for the children to color for homework. That is indoctrination. The good kind. The yeah. kind we love. <laughs> I was going to say, if I think of a country that's going to say A is for assault rifle, my first guess is the United States. There is no doubt that this whole story is bullshit. Yeah. Let me just, let me just right at the top. That didn't happen. Yeah. That, right? didn't, that never happened. That did not file happen. that under things that totally no. happened. No. I, I love that if you put an apostrophe in wrong, some Tampa-based like politifact fact checker will like pop up and go like, actually, but you can just in 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 the first two paragraphs of a Washington Post op-ed just say some shit. 
that's like, and then what happened? Did the whole coffee shop turn and fucking applaud for you? There's no way. <laughs> and that teacher's the, name was Albert Einstein. The first grade. First of all, you're not learning the alphabet in the first grade. That's one. Uh, number two, no one's doing A for AK-47. No first grader, in, sorry, in most countries, uh, first graders are not learning the go-to is an AK-47 for them. It's not like psychologically they have a schema uh, of an AK-47, but not an apple. And so you're just the, the Cuban TFA teacher, like, how do I get through to them? What does every first grader love? I know the fucking 70-year-old uh, assault rifle. That'll be a good one. And then I'll do a line drawing for them because I know this was the best example, but I want the kids to take home to their U.S. State Department embassy parents a picture of an AK-47. That didn't happen. Also, they didn't even send their kid to that school. I refuse to believe that. Like, I know people who are like the kids of diplomats. And sorry, if you were in fucking Riyadh, you had... You still had a walled garden in international schools. You were like the Lord Fauntleroy's of education. There's no fucking way they're just like, yeah, U.S. State Department kids. They uh, they wouldn't go into public them, school. They wouldn't send them to a local public school, not only for like duty. Yeah. yeah, they wouldn't do it here. But not only that, if you're in another country, you know these diplomats are like they don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. We've got to fucking send them to school that sends the Pledge of Allegiance. Homeschool, baby. So this is this is where it, it starts mixing in the critical race theory and you just go like, what the fuck are you talking about? A rally last month by Virginia parents concerned about critical race theory in Ludown County, I guess, was headlined education, not indoctrination. It is important to note that county, too, because I'm pretty sure that is the richest county in that state, at least. Education, not indoctrination is uh, their thing. That's an Iowa and it's a law that recently restricts teaching about racism, and it referred to critical race theory as discriminatory indoctrination. So it's the real uh, racist. Critical race theory, the CIA agent writes, is not indoctrination. Is it? The parents... Yeah, no. The parents in Cuba were understandably horrified, and they abandoned the project of sending their first grader to a Cuban school. They had signed up for Spanish language education, not government-sponsored political indoctrination. They moved to, not like here, where I literally learned in my history books slaves were happy, and it was better. Um, they moved their first grader to the international school in Cuba. Yeah, because the wait list was finally up which served the diplomatic and foreign business community, blah, blah, blah. I worked overseas during most of my 30-year CIA career, often in countries run by authoritarian regimes. And I have seen plenty of official government indoctrination in schools. Here's a rule of thumb. If your kid comes home from school talking about Soviet assault rifles in a good way, there's probably political indoctrination going on in their classroom. And your kid is awesome. How, yeah, how is we don't an argument against the critical race theory fear too? Because there's nothing, nothing in critical race theory is promoting Soviet assault rifles to children. So I think you fucked up with your rule of thumb there, buddy. Yeah, again, this is as much sense as it's going to make. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, your rule of thumb. So you were stationed in Russia for like 30 years working for the CIA. Your rule of thumb is if I hear about an AK-47 in a positive sense, uh, that's indoctrination you're in fucking america 
Your first graders have to do active shooter drills. Also, weird standard. How many countries are going to be pro-Soviet weaponry in their elementary school education? You're missing a lot, dude. You're not catching any of this shit. This is the worst indoctrination spotter in the world. Or is he just a CIA guy that makes it seem like indoctrination? Anyway, education, not indoctrination, is a statement on which most rational people can agree, regardless of political affiliation. Opponents of critical race theory consider it to be indoctrination. Supporters do not. So who is right? It depends on what's being taught. Nobody, for example, supports teaching that all white people are inherently evil. Hands up. You would... Eh. Well, I'm not saying all, I'm but if there, was, if there was an Olympics, like, we win that event, yeah, certainly. Most. Being evil? Yeah. It's, I don't want to do, like, a racial supremacy thing, but when it comes to just being horrid, <laughs> no empathy, uh, yeah, I mean, historically, we've been pretty good at that. Uh, few, few would seriously assert that each and every part of American history is inherently and necessarily racist either. <laughs> Uh, that would be tantamount to claiming that civil rights heroes such as Martin Luther King Jr. and others were actually anti-black racists, a claim, a claim most would correctly dismiss as ridiculous. Yeah, nothing, nothing about the life of Martin Luther King Jr. has anything to do with racism. No. If you think America has a racially problematic history, you're calling MLK Jr. anti-black. The Washington Post. The Washington Post. <laughs> they then try to leverage these false representations, MLK being anti-black, uh, to incite fear among parents, teachers, and communities across the country. Can anyone make a cogent argument against trying to determine the truth, even if it highlights the existence of racism in America? Surely not. Last paragraph you just said people can. Similarly, can anyone really argue that racism, not just in individual racism, but structural racism, is an important part of American history? Again, surely not. Then this article wouldn't exist. Significant thought and scholarship have gone into what is being referred to as critical race theory. If you look it up on the internet, you usually find references to its being a somewhat arcane area of legal study developed in the 1970s and 80s. The politicization of the theory and its deployment in today's culture wars has resulted in a muddying of the intellectual waters for a theory originally designed to more closely examine the undeniable role racism plays in the United States. So, again, this is the I had to look some shit up on Wikipedia because the, I already did the Cuba evil bit in the first two paragraphs, and now we're just padding the word count. And literally that link to when he says you usually find references is just the link to Wikipedia. It's just the Wikipedia link. Yeah, thank you for that, sir. Uh, uh, most of their fundamental ideas are not even that controversial. First, anti-black racism has a long history in American law, and some racist elements remain embedded in our legal system. Second, and related to the first, anti-black racism is still present not just in our legal system, but also in our overall system of governance. Third, anti-black racism on both the individual and systemic levels in America is much more prevalent than most whites believe. So this is all true. This is the, hey guys, I'm liberals, I'm on your side. I know you think like CIA, you know, aren't they kind of problematic? Turns out, no. You've seen our ads and we're all big critical race theory fans. Uh, that obviously is not a, an earnest belief being expressed but this is part of sort of when you turn on msnbc and it's literally like two former fbi people 
uh, a Bush Cheney speechwriter and an active CIA agent telling Rachel Maddow what to think about election interference. Like we have state TV here. Like that is who. <laughs> oh yeah. Like these. This you forgot is to mention that those up. two those two former FBI agents also actively lobby for weapons contractors too. Yeah, no, exactly. And they're being paid to appear there to essentially uh, uh, read DNC press releases and accomplish national strategic uh, espionage based objectives. And so this stuff is so cynical and it it bugs me because they're taking a thing that I I, look, I have very little opinion on this. I think we should do anti-racism. If this does that, that's great. But you're going to notice he starts throwing out these terms to the Washington Post liberal reader so that they can go like, oh, okay, they're cool like us. They, they say the right things. Uh, Cautionary tales from countries that have been unwilling to face up to unpleasant elements of their history abound. Again, we don't want America to be like that. Russia and the former Soviet Union are excellent examples. The Russian government takes an aggressive stance about what is taught in Russian schools concerning Russian or Soviet history. The Kremlin mandates, for example, that Stalin be portrayed as a strong leader who provided a firm hand when the Soviet Union faced the existential threat of Nazi Germany. (laughs) Never mind that Stalin also sent untold millions of his own citizens to their deaths in the Soviet gulag system. Never mind Stalin's use of the Soviet security services to conduct murderous purges of his political adversaries and allies. And never mind that Stalin authorized show trials and propaganda to justify his murders. Little, if any, of that is taught in Russian schools. Today, over a half century later, Stalin continues to be named one of the most popular leaders in Russia. Not because he was actually a wildly popular leader in Russia. No, it must be the indoctrination. Yeah, I mean, never mind. How dare Russian history teachers teach their kids that that, uh, Stalin led the Soviets when they defeated the Nazis? Like, that's some kind of good thing. Anyway, I work for the CIA. Uh, this is like, so, so the argument here has now shifted to, if we don't get critical race theory in schools, America will become Soviet Russia. Um, and as a, take. as a person reading black reconstruction, I learned that Abraham Lincoln is essentially a God and a transcendent man who made no errors. And his, his only error was getting <laughs> capped by John Wilkes Booth. Meanwhile, <laughs> He was attempting to send off half the population of the of uh, black Americans to South American countries to go do colonizing because yeah. he couldn't think of any way they could possibly be re, you know integrated into American society. But no, we we don't we don't do indoctrination here in America. No, none of that. <laughs> the thing is, with without critical race theory in schools, the CIA veteran uh, uh, argues. I mean, we could we could be on on the path to glorifying. Uh, horrible authoritarians and people with terrible human rights records. Who's on the $20 bill again? Yeah. Oops. Um, oops a doodle. Ho- hopefully Americans fighting against critical race theory do not intend to proceed down the path Stalin's USSR and now Putin's Russia have taken. Russia and other authoritarian regimes think China, Iran, North Korea, 
are quick to defensively point out that Western democracies are far from perfect. That's true. Indeed, China and Russia both actively advocate that their forms of government are valid and even superior to democracy, despite horrific human rights records, a lack of many basic freedoms, and unacceptable international behavior. Unacceptable international behavior seems like an interesting one to level, Mr. CIA agent. Yeah, by the way, by the way, um, everyone that George Bush says was on the axis of evil, they happen to be bad. This has everything to do with critical race theory. Thank you, Mr. CIA agent, man. Yeah, I'll be honest. We, we got a long way afield from uh, uh, the school question in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's also I love the, pro- the projection thing yeah. where, where it's just like we need health care right now. Because people are going out there and they're getting cancer and people need their insulin. And, and sometimes they see some boobies and then their, their, their wiener goes inside them and it's inverted and it pushes up against their prostate and then it makes them poop and they do diarrhea in their pants. And you're like, I'm not sure that's like a unit. I think you might just be projecting some of your shit. <laughs> like, what the... Uh... Horrific human rights records, uh, undemocratic, lack many basic freedoms, uh, it, and unacceptable international behavior. That That's your inverse dick hitting your prostate and you pooping. It makes me think of my new favorite tweet uh, where it's like, you know, Americans do an American thing very Americanly. And it's like, what are we, a bunch of Asians? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when we do it, it's good. And when they do it. Uh, you know, bad, I guess. Uh, the correct response to these assertions, says CIA guy, is that while it's certainly true that no democracy has an unblemished history, democratic nations can and should be truthful about the dark parts of their past. In fact, critical study of history free of political interference is a key distinction. I love non-political uh, interference. Yeah. No, yeah. no politics in history books no. at all. Anti, anti-politics. It's, I think that's a worse divide than like, you know, domestic and foreign policy, right? Because at least you can coherently go, okay, Medicare for all, like we really need to tie everything together, but I can call that domestic policy. But what the fuck is apolitical history? Well, here's the thing. He answers, uh, it's a willingness to engage in fact-based scholarship uh, on even the worst elements of a nation's past. That's a good indicator of a healthy democracy. Uh, Again, this this is fact-based scholarship. We're 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 trusting the science, right? Mm -hmm. I just sent. I just said objectively, a historical bullshit lies this entire way. I've projected my sins onto others. I've taken uh, a figure who I, I recognize and acknowledge is popular and said that that can only be through indoctrination that a nation of people would be so wrong because I'm right about what goes on in their country. The average punter in fucking, you know, uh, Idaho, who's looked into it, not at all. He's also more right than the citizens of Russia. Uh, it's just a, it's so deranged. And you see those dog whistle, the lib dog whistle, like, okay, so you just read all of this anti-communist propaganda with no tie to the thing you liked, right? But facts, huh? Facts <laughs> hey. and science. Hey. We should do it without hey. politics. We should do it with more facts. And if that isn't like catnip to liberals, that I'm not doing politics at all because politics is dirty and, and sort of beneath me and grubby and populism. That That's when like, People want to reach out and grab stuff for themselves. Very grabby. Don't like it. But, you know, facts and measured uh, consideration. Know, I'm going to reach all the way back to Pedro Castillo 
that makes me think that that whole no experience in office yet is probably along that liberal catnip line of of like oh he's a populist. Well, yeah, I mean there, there's something that there is uh, if you aren't on this, uh, Chrisman is doing a, a, a hell of presidents or something show where he talks about you can go back to Van Buren this idea of like the fancy lads, uh, the, the whole birth of America was this in the elite's mind, the idea that we're all just going to have this air of good feelings and there's going to be this idealism and we're not going to, we're not going to splinter into parties and we're not going to, uh, you know, do this sort of grubby horse trading, uh, that really should be beneath politics as if, uh, discrete factions fighting for power and standards of the civilization society that they basically were gang pressed into by the, the social contract. Like, I just kind of like them to represent me and, and not do active harm. Uh, but that's always been sort of like Tammany Hall was not the worst thing in the world, but we hated it because it was unseemly to the, the ink stained wretches at the time that you might get a ham for, you know, rounding up some Irish and then telling them that America hates them because frankly, they were telling the truth. The ham could actually be helpful. And uh, it, it, if politics is about people expressing their needs uh, and then gathering power and bringing them into existence through that political project, uh, then we really should have more people in there. We don't need a Mandarin class of fucking virtuous, well-educated elites Mm -hmm. to thoughtfully slide us into climate change. Uh, We can just do it ourselves. Um, it's, It's always been ridiculous, that concept. And this is no different than the shit that was being written, you know, 150 years ago. Just like, you know, if someone listens to people, they're bought out. If somebody tries to, if someone's popular amongst their people, that must be indoctrination. Uh, The last line of this says, I've seen how denial of history works out in authoritarian regimes. Americans should want no part of it. Uh, It's just, it means nothing. This article is bullshit. <laughs> um, well, and, it's all, it's and the all fact that buzzword. it's just so uncritic, uncritically received, read, taken uh, from one of our biggest papers. It's just like, sometimes I really think, I don't know how you guys cope. I really feel like I'm going insane <laughs> because I, I have basically a dumb brain and I can still read this and go like, this is, the, this the, is a lie. Yeah. This is like, and it's not, if you took five minutes it just as a fun thing, and fact check this article yourself at home, you'd be like, this is absolutely absurd. What is its raison d'etre? How did this get here? And my takeaway is just, this is what we have in the future. Uh, we need to find fucking somewhere to extract because otherwise we're collapsing. So just get ready for this sort of vague cast about like, I don't know, maybe Bolivia, huh? Cuba, I don't know, maybe Russia's bad again. China, we're in an existential threat. Uh, but now just presented in the laziest possible uh, manner and hitting just the right dog whistles for you to never really think. Uh, I don't know. This article uh, drove me insane. Uh, I, we, we can wrap up. My brain uh, is yeah. broken. No, yeah. I, I completely get it because the way you read it, right – Imagine someone was like writing an article about schools in Cuba and the whole article was talking about how delicious Coca-Cola was, right? You'd be like, 
I don't think this is about schools in Cuba. It's the same thing with political buzzwords like authoritarian and regime and, and shit like that, where, you know, it, it's just like you said, it's those catnip words. And that that's all it fucking is. And it's just a matter of how much we can. It, it doesn't matter even if people start realizing entirely that that's bullshit. It's a matter of getting to people to talk to them about politics to make sure they realize it's bullshit because that article is going up and it's going up the same way no matter what. And making sure they realize it's bullshit, not only that they don't buy it in the article, but that it doesn't get compacted into culture where, like, you know, we talked about the the, the DPRK jab in there, right? And uh, so whenever people make a joke like, well, well, it'd be real bad in North Korea, right? Like, that's the that's the cultural, um, I want to, I can't think of the word, the manifestation, that's it. That's the cultural manifestation of that. And we've just got to kind of educate and, and combat that manifestation and those articles are going to happen anyway because they're fucking bananas you should feel insane reading them that's a good sign that you've educated at least yourself i just feel disappointed by the cia because it used to be they'd fucking you know let you look at some titties and then jab you with lsd or whatever and then throw you out a window now i have to read fucking baby brain shit this is like at least appeal to me. At least appeal to me on the level of like intellectual masturbation. Make me jump through some hoops. This is just like the most pre-chewed uh, uh, avian regurgitate ideology you can possibly get, <laughs> and you really have to be fully gone in the liberal bag to just uncritically take this. But yeah, I mean, they, you think like used to be the CIA was somewhere between whatever they depicted in James Bond. And some guy walking around in a desert in 1978, like, hey, you look like you'll fly an airplane into buildings in 40 years. You want to help us fight the Soviets? And now it's just like some fucking scumbag rapping out on a on a typewriter or not even typewriter keyboard on a computer. Some article that's bullshit about Cuba. Yeah, I it's it's not encouraging. But uh, as we close here, I'll, I'll just say that I kind of. It's it's irritating, but in the absence of an actual alternative narrative, people talk about dual power and all that. How about just dual narrative? You know, like, like if there's just like we said, the lib one and and two flavors of insane right. Give someone a, a, a message, something they can understand, something that they feel like they can uh, incorporate, own, internalize, and then act on. That isn't just like tepid liberalism because i do think most people are trying to do the right thing and it won't be as hard as you think it will be hard work but it won't be as hard as you think reaching them if you actually have a coherent and cohesive narrative of how things work and why left politics will make them better and i'll close here on just saying that there's a quote from mao that i think is is important to <laughs> Uh, this is what I, I opened a book for you guys. I, I had book readers on. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like one big part of getting that central narrative right now. So we can build the mass movement uh, is we, pro I, I'm in the movement, but in whatever way. And I don't even know what the left take is right now because everyone's just fighting. So Mal wrote uh, the question. So this is the question of suppression of counter revolutionaries, which is everyone's favorite thing to LARP. Mm -hmm. Uh, the question of suppressing counter-revolutionaries is one of struggle between ourselves and the enemy, an antagonistic contradiction. Among the people, there are some who see this question in a somewhat different light. 
Two kinds of persons hold views different from ours. Those with a rightist way of thinking make no distinction between ourselves and the enemy and take the enemy for our own people. They regard as friends the very persons whom the broad masses regard as enemies. Those with a left way of thinking magnify contradictions between ourselves and the enemy to such an extent that they take certain contradictions among the people for contradictions with the enemy and regard as counter-revolutionaries persons who are not really counter-revolutionaries. Both of these are wrong, and neither can lead to the correct handling of the question of suppressing counter-revolutionaries or to a correct assessment of this work. Uh, if you're a leftist, you probably think Mao was at least a decently smart guy. I think there's a lot to learn from that. Uh, yes, when you live in this world where you can see, like in this article or anywhere, all the obvious fucking deceptions, the obvious fucking capitalist realism, the the dog whistles, uh, the contradictions. I mean, you're looking for it and you're finding them. But, you know, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail. And maybe just chill out a, <laughs> chill out a little bit uh, because you're probably not doing uh, effective, you know, uh, suppressing of counter-revolutionaries or whatever uh in your twitter sphere when someone disagrees with you over whether or not we should listen to the cursing podcaster like just you only have limited ammo we only have uh uh and i said metaphorically we only have limited time with climate change let's apply a michael brooks style friend foe system and for the love of god come up with some sort of way of speaking to people that is inviting coherent doesn't make people uh think they're stepping into a clusterfuck in progress I'll, I'll give you guys the last word and tell us what you're working on this week and where to find you and we'll close it off amen david uh what we're working on this week we're working on uh what chapter are we on in black reconstruction chapter chapter 14 okay we're working on chapter 14 of black reconstruction and uh, as always we'll get with you with current events as they pop up um you can find us at uh, at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter, Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com um, through email. Uh, obviously, what used to be uh, this podcast's. Um, I can't think Discord of Discord server. Thank you, Discord. I'm never on it, and you always do this part of the disclaimer. Uh, Discord server is now the, the Mark's Madness Discord server, so you can find us on there. And uh, you can find our podcast basically anywhere podcasts are, um, you know, iTunes. Uh, Spotify, whatever. Um, the website directly from who's hosting it is marksmadnesspod.pinecast.co, and you can see all of our episodes there. Nathan? Yeah, uh, and I would just say, again, thank uh, thank you for having us on. This was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Um, it it is It has been a dumb and depressing kind of week, but uh, it is definitely not it is there is always hope at the end of it i think and i think that's what i have to to take away from it is that there are tangible things we can do and i love that quote from mal on contradiction slaps everyone should read on contradiction um that's all i got all right uh thanks guys for for, for talking for so long and uh this will go out tonight so thanks again yeah. uh if, if you're hearing this on uh tuesday fuck you uh <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's the outro thing. Throw the bows.
So, uh, uh, David, yes. when are you going to accept the truth about Cat and Forest? <laughs>